Okay, now we'll finish. We might have a little time for break, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right. Um, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the City of Alameda City Council meeting for Tuesday, October 17, 2023. Um, we are not too far off schedule. We are about to go into closed session. This is a special city council meeting closed session. And I'm going to ask our city clerk, Laura Weisinger, to please call the roll. Uh, Vice Mayor Desan. Here. Council members for Spencer. Present. Jensen. Here. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft. Here. Four present and hopefully uh, council member Vela will be here shortly. Hopefully. And um, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comment on our closed session item? It's singular, right? Yeah. Right. We do not. All right, with that, I will close public comment on um, our one consent calendar uh, closed session item. And we're going to adjourn to closed session to consider our one item, which I would like to ask the city clerk to please introduce for us. Public employee performance evaluation pursuant to government code section 54957. Position evaluated is the city manager, Jennifer Ott. All right, thank you, um, Madam Clerk. So with that, uh, Council and Ms. Ott are going to um, adjourn into closed session. And I think we'll be joined briefly by our HR Director, Jessica mm -hmm. Romeo. And um, it is our every intention to be back before the public at 7 o'clock this same evening. So we'll see you shortly. Day, October 17, 2023, and this is the Alam City of Alameda City Council meeting. The council has just come back from closed session, and I, um, well, I will actually <laughs> announce any action taken, um, which is to say we have the um, a public employee performance evaluation of our city manager, Jennifer Ott. No vote was taken. And with that, I will adjourn the closed session and I will call to order the regular city council meeting and we'll begin with the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'd like to ask um, Councilmember Horace Spencer, would you lead us in the pledge this evening? Thank you so much. Please rise as you're able. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, Thank you, Councilmember Hura Spencer. And um, may we have the, a roll call, please, Madam Clerk? Vice Mayor Desan? Here. Councilmembers Hura Spencer? Present. Jensen? Here. Bella? Here. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft? Here. Five present. All right. Madam Clerk, do we have any agenda changes that you're aware of? I am not aware of any. All right, we will then move on to um, proclamations and special orders of the day. We have two proclamations this evening, and I'm giving myself a rest and your ears a rest from my voice. And um, I'm calling on two of my council colleagues. So for our first proclamation, uh, which is declaring October 2023 as Disability Awareness and Acceptance Month, Councilmember Tracy Jensen will deliver that proclamation. Councilmember Jensen. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And as um, a, an individual with a disability, I'm very proud and happy to, to offer and to ensure that we recognize this important, this important um, issue. So I'm going to begin 
Whereas October 2023 marks the 78th anniversary of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and 2023 is also the 50th anniversary of the first federal legislation to address access and equity for people with disabilities, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, and the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And whereas the 2023 National Disability Employment Awareness Month theme is advancing access and equity, then, now, and next. Celebrating the passage of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 that prohibited discrimination based on disability and employment by federal agencies, federal contractors, and recipients of federal funds, as well as in the delivery of federally funded programs and activities. And whereas, while the National Disability Employment Awareness Month was historically intended to highlight people with physical disabilities, since 1962, it has also recognized the employment needs and contributions of individuals with all types of dis disabilities, including hidden or invisible disabilities. And whereas the National Disabilities Employment Awareness Month helps educate the public about disability employment issues and celebrates the many and varied contributions of America's workers with disabilities to the workplace and the economy. And whereas in Alameda, we celebrate Disability Awareness and Acceptance Month to affirm the progress the city has made in improving employment opportunities, government services, public accommodations, and transportation resources for people with disabilities while recognizing there is still work to be done to remove physical and social barriers that unreasonably prevent the participation of individuals with disabilities. And whereas in 1974, the Alameda City Council established a committee to provide a public forum to address local disability issues, today the commission on persons with disabilities advises the city council, city departments, and other boards and commissions on issues affecting people with disabilities and actions the city can take to assure equal access for persons with disabilities to programs, housing, facilities, and services, and to promote attitudes and behaviors that respect and value community members with disabilities. Now, therefore, be it resolved that our mayor, Marilyn Ezzi Ashcroft, hereby proclaims October 2023 as Disability Awareness and Acceptance Month in the City of Alameda to urge our community to promote equal opportunity and practice respectful acceptance of all. Thank you very much for that, Councilmember Jensen. And now our next proclamation is declaring October 2022, um, October 22 through October 28, 2023 as National-Led Poisoning Prevention Week. And I'm gonna call upon Councilmember Malia Vela to present that proclamation. Maybe you'll explain your particular um, connection with this topic. Um, so I, am, uh, I represent the city of Alameda on the, uh, the lead abatement JPA with Alameda County as we participate as members with the city of Oakland, uh, Berkeley, and Emeryville, as well as Alameda County Healthy Homes Department. Whereas each year, National Lead Poisoning Prevention Week is a call to bring together individuals, organizations, and industry, as well as state, tribal, and local governments to increase lead poisoning prevention awareness and reduce childhood exposure to lead. And whereas lead exposure in children can result from multiple sources and can cause irreversible and lifelong health effects. And whereas lead poisoning is preventable, the key is to keep children from coming into contact with lead and whereas lead can be found where children live, play, and learn, including in paint, soil, water, 
consumer products, imported foods and medicines, and in certain jobs and hobbies. And whereas many homes in Alameda were built before 1978, the older the home, the more likely it is to contain multiple layers of lead-based paint. And whereas the primary means of preventing lead poisoning is removing lead hazards from the environment before a child is exposed to make your home lead safe, make sure the products you use do not contain lead, and to take steps every day to stay healthy, including eating healthy foods, exercising regularly, and getting enough sleep. And whereas secondary prevention of lead poisoning includes blood lead testing, follow-up care, and referral to a healthcare provider. Most children with lead in their blood will have no obvious symptoms initially, and whereas education and awareness about the dangers of lead can help protect children living in the city of Alameda. Now, therefore, uh, be it resolved that Mayor Ma Marilyn Ezzie Ashcraft, Mayor of the City of Alameda, does hereby proclaim October 22nd to 28, 2023 as National Lead Poisoning Prevention Week in the City of Alameda. Encourage residents to observe this week by taking steps to make their homes lead safe. I will, I will also just put in a plug that if you have a one-year-old, while it's not mandatory, uh, if you are not on Medicaid to get your child blood lead tested, we do recommend that you, you get your child blood lead tested, especially if you, if you live in a pre-1978 home, which many of us here in the city of Alameda do, uh, or if your child is in daycare at a pre-1978 building. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Councilmember Vela, for, um, for reading that proclamation. So we move on now to oral communications for non-agenda items. And this is, um, we take 15 minutes now at the top of the agenda where people can speak for up to two minutes on um, items that are not on the agenda. And then if we don't get through all those comments, we'll have an opportunity at the end of the agenda. Madam Clerk, do we have speakers under oral communication? Uh, we do. Uh, first is Brian Kennedy, and then next will be Ginger Garish. All right, welcome, Speaker Kennedy. Good evening, everybody. Um, you mentioned proclamations. The timing is superb, because I'd like to propose the best proclamation that the city of Alameda will ever do in its history. And that proclamation is honoring angel families. November 1st marks the 13th anniversary of the remembrance time for victims of illegal alien violence. And that includes angel families. What are angel families? They're American families who have lost loved ones to illegal alien violence. And the saddest part is their loss is 100%, 100% preventable by A, enforcing our nation's immigration laws, and B, eliminating uh, sanctuary jurisdictions. Um, you want to see what an angel mom looks like? Here's one right here. Malia and Marilyn are familiar with this big time. Uh, they voted for this policy that took this woman's child and they made us a sanctuary city. The woman here, Mrs. Steiny, Kate Steiny's mother, will spend the rest of her days knowing that her child should still be alive if it wasn't for sanctuary city for illegal aliens. I wonder how she felt that after her daughter was murdered, the city of Alameda then went and passed sanctuary city again. Take a look, folks. She posed for this picture on purpose with the idea that it would never happen to another mother. Well, Marilyn and Malia didn't heed. They had no problem. More on this particular case. You know what Kate Steinle's last words were? Take a look, please. 
She was shot on a pier in San Francisco, and as she lay dying, she pleaded with her father, help me, Dad, help me, Dad, help me, Dad. And he had to watch his daughter dying in front of his eyes, and there was nothing he could do about it. For the rest of his days, he's going to know that, that Sanctuary City killed his beautiful little girl. Can you imagine the pain that he has to go through? So isn't that a reason right there to issue a proclamation honoring angel families? Now, Marilyn Malia, as I mentioned, they voted for Sanctuary City because their own children are conveniently safe and sound, and they don't care that other parents' children are killed because theirs are okay. The rest of you, Tracy, Tony, I know you, Trish, you are good people. I know you're good people. I know you'll do the right thing. Do it for angel families. Do it for Kate Steinle's mother. Do it for the mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers who will never, never see their loved ones again because of illegal alien violence, sanctuary city, and open borders. It's the ethical and the right thing to do, and it would be the best proclamation that Alameda has ever done. I hope you'll do it. I know you three will, the other two won't. Thanks. Thank you, our next speaker. Ginger Help Garish. Welcome. Dad. Welcome, Speaker Ibrish. And I do appreciate everyone being respectful of the rest of the audience. Welcome. Good evening. My name is Ginger Garish. My family recently moved to Alameda because we were stationed here with the Coast Guard. Um, we're assigned to Coast Guard Cutter Bertha. Uh, contrary to the Alameda government website, there are not three but four national security cutters currently stationed there, and that represents about 500 families. That's not to speak of the countless other sectors and YBI and Treasure Island and San Francisco, so there's a lot of families there, but at least 500 with the types of boats that my family is assigned to. It's not a small population. The Coast Guard is small. This is one of the biggest installations in the Coast Guard. Um, Coast Guard is one of the few Coast Guard cities. Alameda is one of the few Coast Guard cities, and in my experience living here, I'm kind of asking myself why, questioning some of the uh, support and visibility that we have. Um, Alameda is the largest Coast Guard housing population in the country. There's over 250 multifamily units um, on the west side. Despite this, Alameda is continually one of the most unfavorable duty stations. Things like high cost of living, poor schools, and property crime make this duty station infamously a place you don't want to be sent. Um, I'd like to know what sort of partnerships exist among the city and the Coast Guard community. Any thoughtful planning about transportation near Coast Guard housing for both service members and spouses. Any outreach to military spouses specifically for Coast Guard um, for spouse employment opportunities. Just to let you know the military spouse employment rate is nearly four times that of the general public and 92% of military spouses are women, so this is largely a women's issue. Um, since living here, I've attended multiple municipal meetings, many of them about more inclusive Christmas decor in this building, and last night I saw the Public Utilities Board vote in favor for adding $600,000 for providing customer service support for electric vehicle charging stations installed at multifamily residences. I just ask you to consider revisiting your commitment to the Coast Guard community and what you could do to support us um, and just uh, 
helpful reminder, the Coast Guard, um, unlike what most people think, is not part of the Department of Defense. We're housed under the Department of Homeland Security, which means we're not flush with cash. We don't have access to a lot of the resources that DOD families do, like a commissary, for example. So your commitment to support us as we're stationed here um, is in high need. Thank you. Thank you, and if you would um, share your contact information with our assistant city clerk, I would love to be in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, hello. Tonight I'd like to talk about the process. I believe the process is everything in city council meetings, and without the proper process and everyone following the rules, then we have nothing. It just disintegrates, degenerates, and it doesn't mean anything. So again, I've been critical before of the mayor and council member Vela continually um, responding to people's comments and basically trying to control the discussion. That is wrong as far as the process goes, and that does a disservice to everybody, including the other council members. So I would like to see these kind of practices stopped. Um, also, what concerns me is when I hear um, council members talking about their staff, their staff. Um, you don't have a staff. Basically, the city manager works for the city council. So that is the only person that the city council should be talking to as a city manager. That's their only employee. That's their only staff member, of course, aided by the clerk and the city attorney. Um, they should not be calling the remainder of the city employees their staff that casts a shadow on employees and makes them feel threatened, like they're under the shadow of politicians. And again, that is not right. The city manager's position is the most important position. This is like the executive and the CEO. Um, politicians are not CEOs and they should not be attempting to run the city. One council member, one vote. The mayor has no extra special power. It's largely a symbolic position, and everybody should um, control their impulses to monopolize city staff. City staff belongs to the people and works for the city manager. So basically, everything should go through the city manager, and that should be done in open forum, um, legitimately and not in violation of the Brown Act. Um, no, Nobody should be monopolizing the city manager's time and constantly talking to them. Um, as good as politicians think they are, you're definitely not CEOs. You don't possess that skill set. Um, nobody has that kind of a resume um, on this council. So you are not the CEO, and you have um, no staff other than the city manager aided by the city attorney and the clerk. So I would appreciate proper following of the process. Um, I particularly emphasize was what was said by the Coast Guard family member. Um, the city of Alameda really has several issues interacting with military, military history, um, respect for past military. Um, it was well laid out about the Coast Guard issue. Additionally, we've had several veterans come and speak about the issues with um, basically um, veterans buildings, poor bathrooms, poor access, all of that type of stuff. So. Um, we've seen, we're seeing a pattern here of the disassociation between Alameda and the military. The Navy built Alameda and made it happen. It deserves respect, as does the Coast Guard. Thank you. And our next speaker? That was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we close item number four, oral communications. And we move on to the consent calendar. Now, the consent calendar is a routine agenda item, but this time it's a little different than last time because I have an ordinance the city council passed last time to hopefully streamline the consent uh, calendar process 
I'm going to turn the floor over to our um, very competent city clerk, Laura Weisinger, to just run down for us, if you will, the, um, the process that will follow. Um, so now, um, consent calendar items, if council members elect to pull an item for a full discussion, it will bump after the regular agenda items, but council members, um, if they wanna just ask quick questions or make brief comments, um, they can do that also. So the process will be that council members will um, announce any items they want to pull, and then um, any speakers submitted for that item would be held until it's heard at the end, and then the, I, the council would address the remainder of the consent calendar with any speakers um, wanting to speak on the remaining items, being able to comment at that time. So it's the new process and we'll see how it goes for six months. Okay, and I'm so glad you're at my side. Um, and so the first thing I want to do is to ask if there are any items that council wants to pull and these items will be heard at the end of our regular agenda. 5F, um, so Frank. Yes, yeah, so um, council member Jensen, excuse me, Jensen, why do I do that? Ch uh, council member Herrera Spencer uh, pulls 5F as in Frank. I'm going to pull 5E as in Edward, and um, any other pulls, council? Okay, seeing then, those are the pulls that we'll come back to, and there'll be time for comments, so we won't do any comments on those at this time, correct, Madam Clerk? Correct, no, no okay. public comment, no other comments, yeah. Now, we have an opportunity, if there are items that the council just wants to ask questions on, do we, and, and then remind me when we'll do a motion on the balance of the consent calendar. So it's kind of like a regular agenda items for the rest of the consent calendar. The council has three minutes and they can ask questions, then you'll call speakers and then council members can make any comments and then you'll take a vote on the remaining items. So okay. it's kind of okay. considering them all at once and making any comments you want or okay. questions on them. So any um, council questions on any of the um, remaining, not the two that were pulled, but any of the remaining? Uh, consent calendar items, seeing, uh, Council Member Vella, you? I, I don't have a question, I just have to note a recusal on 5H. Okay, so Council Member uh, Vella is noting a recusal on 5H, as in hello. Okay, okay, we got that. Council Member Harris Spencer, I saw your hand up. Yes, Mayor, I'd like to ask uh, questions in regards to 5G. Okay, so um, I take it away. All right, thank you, Mayor. Um, my question just goes to clarification of uh, where this 25,000, uh, what the 25,000 is and uh, an expenditure versus a grant and where the grant is coming from, just to really to clarify. Sure, yeah, this is, so it is a grant that we are receiving um, and it's for the Guaranteed Income Pilot Program. Um, and it's from the Soda Foundation, I believe, mm -hmm. and it's for, um, and it'll go to offset some of the costs related to the Guaranteed Income Pilot Program. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, any further clarifying questions? Okay, look how easy that is. Okay, so then what I'm looking for now is there's no public comment. Oh, we oh, just I'm had so somebody sorry. raise their I'm hand. So, so we do yes. have one speaker. Okay. okay, as long as it's not on either E or F. Correct. Right? Okay, all right, so yes, uh, uh, public comment please. Okay. Todd Hickman, oh, I forgot to say his name. Welcome, welcome Speaker Hickman. Yes, thank you. So I was very excited tonight to see this consent calendar. I think staff did an excellent job um, and I thought this truly looked like a consent calendar. As you know, I've been very critical 
of the um, council putting um, agenda items, what some would call hidden within the consent calendar. Um, I didn't see any of that tonight. If, if I had any criticism, it would have been that um, the Chicago 50, Court Chicago 50 is so important that it shouldn't have been hit in an agenda item. It should be made, um, you know, as a proclamation, something standing alone and again, not hidden, but I would say that's minor. So um, as I've said before, in the last year and a half, we've only had two five zero votes on the consent calendar. And I thought for sure, I, I thought for sure that I was gonna see that again tonight. Um, but as we see um, council, um, Member Spencer pulled this. Um, I think she, well, I would like to hear the same view as I have from her on that. So she probably believes it's more important, but um, not to speculate. So we'll see what happens with that. And then I was a little surprised to see the mayor pull something. So that's interesting. But again, overall, um, this is a very solid consent calendar. It appears that city staff was allowed to do their job and they kept the politics for the most part. Um, out of the consent calendar and the consent calendar is actually legitimate. It's a shame we're not gonna get a five zero because then we would have, you know, three um, five zeros in the last year and a half. And maybe we would be building some momentum where the staff could be, um, you know, free to do their job and put forth a solid consent calendar instead of um, perhaps being pressured um, by politicians to um, put stuff in there that some would consider hiding within the consent calendar. Um, so again, this is very encouraging. I think we're making good progress. And I do commend the council, um, again, for taking action on some of these important issues. Um, I also commend the, the new structure of the consent calendar. I think that's gonna do some good. Um, I think that if it would have been explained better to the public last time, you probably wouldn't have had any opposition. There were some letters that appeared to give opposition, um, but big picture, this is actually a better thing. And I very much look forward to the pilot project for the next six months. Um, so I think we are making progress on the structure and the process of city council meetings. Um, it, it gives me great hope to, to see what I've seen so far in this meeting. And I think you're seeing that from the public's reaction as well, that, that they're very happy. I guess I'm the only speaker. Um, that's pretty unusual, but we will see what happens with the two that were pulled. So I look forward to that and thank you. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. That was our last speaker. Okay, we will close public comment on the balance of the consent calendar. And do I have a motion to approve balance of the consent calendar? Um, understanding that you're, uh, that I'm recusing Council on 5H. Member Vela recuses on H. So moved. Okay, so I have a, a motion by uh, Council Member Vela, seconded by Council Member Jensen. All those in favor? No. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And, and a no in there? Yes. Oh, you're a no. Uh -huh. On what? Um, 5G, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, that's the. Um, the UBI? The, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we have. Um, we have uh, uh, the vote is uh, to approve the consent calendar, noting that Vice Mayor Daysog votes no on item 5G and Council Member Vela recuses on 5H. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Okay, that passes unanimously. And now we move on to um, 
the regular agenda items. And so, um, who, uh, Madam Clerk, would you introduce um, item 7A and then whoever the staff people are, please make your way up to the uh, podium. Thank you. Yes. Um, 7A is a recommendation to receive an update on the 2018 Zero Waste Implementation Plan authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with HF and H consultants in an amount not to exceed 280,210 to update the Zero Waste Implementation Plan and adoption resolution amending the fiscal year 23-24 budget to appropriate an additional $140,105 from the City Waste Management Fund and 140105 from the Integrated Waste Fund fund balances for completion of the zero waste implementation plan in accordance with California Environmental Quality Act. This project is categorically exempt from further environmental review pursuant to CEQA guidelines section 15308, actions by regulatory agencies for protection of the environment. The zero waste implementation plan is intended to guide the city in the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, thus protecting the environment. Thank you, Ms. Weisinger, and welcome, Ms. Accord. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. I'm Liz Accord, Public Works Coordinator, here tonight to present Council with an update on Alameda's Zero Waste Implementation Plan. Our item tonight provides an overview of Alameda's Zero Waste Goal, as well as an update on progress made towards the Zero Waste Implementation Plan to date. We'll also provide an update on Alameda's landfill diversion. And then lastly, we will discuss what's next for Alameda's zero waste and tonight's staff recommendation. Alameda's zero waste implementation plan, which we call a ZWIP for short, was first adopted in 2010 as recommended by the 2008 Local Action Plan for Climate Protection. That 2010 ZWIP established the why of zero waste and was the beginning of a long-term systematic effort to achieve zero waste in Alameda. The overarching aim is to reduce solid waste and increase uh, diversion from landfill. The 2010 ZWIP set Alameda's zero waste goal as 89% diversion of materials from landfill and set a target date of 2020 to achieve that goal. In 2018, an in-depth review of progress towards that goal was completed and that ZWIP set forth five strategies to continue uh, trying to reach the 89% goal. The 2018 ZWIP proposed changing the goal date to 2022 and ultimately City Council did not change the date when adopting the 2018 ZWIP uh, and the strategies to uh, continue progress towards the goal. So at this time, I'm gonna turn the presentation over to my colleague, Mark Green, to present an update on the implementation of the 2018 CWIP. Welcome, Mr. Green. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor, members of City Council. My name is Mark Green, Zero Waste Specialist uh, with Public Works. Might wanna raise that microphone just a little so it's sure. catching your voice. Yeah. Better? Good. Uh, as you know, the 2018 Zero Waste Implementation Plan had five strategies. Oh, next slide. Can you do? <laughs> anyway. Uh, can help him with strategy that? one, yeah. sorry. He wants to go back to one. There, <laughs> there we go. go. Sorry about that. Uh, had five strategies, and I'll be giving you a brief update on the progress of uh, achieving those strategies. Strategy one, supporting zero waste culture, has been primarily accomplished um, with our ongoing partnership with Community Action for Sustainable Alameda, or CASA. Uh, for example, we are currently in year two of a five-year agreement with Rethink Disposable, which is a program that started uh, with in a partnership with CASA back in 2017. Rethink Disposable provides outreach to uh, food generating establishments to make the switch from disposable food to reusables. Uh, the city did have a program for to, uh, 
to-go item reusables, um, but unfortunately that one is no longer viable. Staff continues to work with CASA on a long-term solution to address this. Um, one program that has emerged uh, is a partnership between the city, CASA, and Okapi Reusables uh, to bring a reusable coffee cup program to the island. An individual signs up with a copy for a small fee and can visit one of any of our seven participating cafes to order a cup of coffee, take that cup, coffee cup with them, and then once finished, they can bring that back to any of those participating locations, check out another cup, and take that with them. Um, next slide, please. Thank you, if I can do it on my end. Sorry, first time one of these. <laughs> Strategy two is conducting uh, technical outreach to our multifamily and commercial sectors. Uh, as part of the ZWIP update in 2018, funding for this strategy was also approved, and we've been doing that work ever since. We started the strategy by targeting our largest generators, and that work continues today with increasing diversion, right-sizing of containers, and help with proper sorting of material. Over the last five years, Alameda has seen a decrease in garbage by over 300 cubic yards per week, which translates to about 2,300 tons per year. We've also seen a significant increase in our organics and recycling collection um, with 6,000 tons per year, respectively. Uh, the city recently entered a new five-year agreement with SCS to continue to provide outreach and education to our multifamily and commercial sectors. Next slide, please. Uh, strategy three is to create a food recovery program and enhance organics management, and here's what we've done to date. Currently, through our SES contractors and full-time ACI sustainability specialists, Alameda has achieved a nearly 100% compliance uh, with our organics collection, with only eight commercial accounts still needing organic service. In terms of food recovery, with the help of the Alameda County Solid Waste Authority, or Stop Waste, we've identified our Tier 1 food generators, and through a memorandum of understanding with, Alameda County, with the Alameda County Health Department, have provided outreach and implementation uh, of food recovery and enforcement as needed. Uh, in 2022, over 350,000 pounds of edible food uh, were, were recovered in the city and sent to food recovery organizations throughout Alameda County. Next slide, please. Uh, strategy four is our update to our uh, construction and demolition debris ordinance. That was completed in 2021 as part of our larger chapter 21 solid waste and recycling code update. Um, by codifying the California Green Building Standards Code, or CalGreen, Alameda ensures that any changes to the recycling requirement made by CalGreen are built into our existing code. The code now also encourages, encourages contractors to consider deconstruction and reuse as an alternative to just recycling material on the project. Staff continues to work with our permit center to provide outreach on these requirements. And next slide, please. And lastly, uh, strategy five was to expand our high, uh, expand our franchise agreement to a high diversion agreement. Uh, in 2020, uh, council approved a two-step procurement process that started with negotiations with ACI. Those negotiations were successful and a new agreement with, with ACI was approved by council in 2021. As part of the new agreement, uh, ACI now provides a full-time sustainability coordinator contamination monitoring, and an expanded bulky item collection program, which now covers all households in the city, including our multifamily residents. And with that, I will now turn the presentation back over to Liz for our final slides. Thank all you. right, thank you. Welcome back, Ms. Accord. Thank you, next slide, please. All right, 
Before we talk about what comes next, I'm going to provide an update on our current diversion rate. I have some good news to share. As of our calendar year 2022 reporting, Alameda's diversion rate is on the rise, up to 81% uh, versus the 79% uh, we reported in 2021. So while this is still short of the 89% diversion goal set forth in the zero waste implementation plan, it does signal both recovery from the pandemic and effectiveness of the work that you just heard about. Next slide, please. In terms of looking forward, the Zero Waste Program and Public Works will continue to implement key uh, strategies from the 2018 Zero Waste Plan, uh, including strategy two technical assistance, which you just heard is ongoing, um, and our continued partnerships with CASA, as well as uh, implementation of other regulatory requirements such as Senate Bill 1383. And tonight we are seeking city council approval for the next steps for Alameda's zero waste implementation plan. Next slide, please. Staff now recommends that city council approve the consultant agreement and budget resolution to prepare the next ZWIP. Staff have been planning to do this work for some time now with some minor delays and setbacks due to the pandemic, um, but there is fund balance available to move this project forward. Staff issued a request for proposals earlier this year um, and after internal evaluation, uh, staff unanimously recommends moving forward with HFNH to prepare the next zero waste implementation plan. A couple of notes, uh, key notes about the scope. This is, uh, represents a large investment of hours to evaluate Alameda's existing programs and conduct significant community outreach with a focus on equity um, and learning how to deepen Alameda's existing zero waste culture. This project will create a prioritized menu of options for Alameda based on a cost-benefit analysis and will include a consideration of phased implementation to build on success over time. Um, ultimately, if this project moves forward, what we're looking at is a product for Alameda to take us into the mid and long term of our zero waste future. Uh, and if approved, this project is estimated to take between nine and 12 months. And so staff looks forward to being back uh, in front of council about this time next year to prepare, uh, present rather that ZWIP for council's consideration. And with that, our presentation is complete and Mr. Green and I are available for any questions you may have. Very good timing with 54 seconds uh, left to go. <laughs> uh, nice work, thank you both. Um, any clarifying questions from council before we go to public comment? I have one. Um, uh, Ms. Accord, I think you said I'm on slide number nine, page nine of 12. As of the reporting for 2022, Alameda's diversion rate has increased. We're currently achieving 81% diversion up from 79% in 2021. And I think you said that this signals recovery from the pandemic. Did I understand that correctly? And if so, make the connection for me, if you yes. would, please. One of, the, one of the signals that we have um, is from uh, increased participation in the recycling and organics programs from the commercial and food service sectors. Um, as well as residents. So we start, we saw sort of a dip in participation um, during the, the uncertain times of the pandemic and that was seen uh, regionally, nationally. Uh, we experienced that as well and so we are seeing a positive trend in, in our numbers going up again. Got it, I understand. And then um, there was a reference to the uh, reusable cup uh, um, app Okapi, which I have on my phone. I hope you all get yours. But there's only seven participating um, places in Alameda that are using it. And I think they're more of our independents, um, the local coffee cultures and some of those. Have you reached out to say the, the, big, the big ones, um, the Pete's, the Starbucks? And because um, it seems like a lot of people get their 
um, coffee to go from there. And it seems like we could cut down on a lot of green waste if they participated. I'm going to ask Mr. Green to come right. speak to that. Come on back. That's a tough nut to crack, uh, those large chains. Um, we are definitely trying. I believe Starbucks is piloting some uh, reusable cups of their own. Um, but that is, we, we continue to try to get in there. It's just because they are national, it's, it's not quite as easy. It's cer certainly something we would like to see, but definitely a tough nut to crack and we continue to work on. Okay. Um, okay. Well, and I know, I know they're national. Um, we have a Pete's Roasting Facility in Alameda, but I believe their headquarters are Emeryville, Berkeley, nearby. So, okay, cool. It's, yes, no, we've tried, we're trying. I, I, I hear you, okay, <laughs> those are my two questions. Any others before we open up to public comment? And do we have public comment, Madam Clerk? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Laria Pippin. <coughs> Welcome, Speaker Pippin. Hi there, thanks so much. Um, I have one question and one comment. First of all, um, I do work with Okapi actually on community outreach in Alameda. So thank you so much for, for um, explaining that you have the app and you're having a good experience. We are working diligently to include more cafes um, all the time. So um, any help that we can get from anyone on the council and in the city and in the community, uh, that would be wonderful. We wanna offer it at as many locations as possible. Um, my question has, is related to the diversion rate that Liz mentioned. Um, do these diversion numbers, and I'm not sure you're going to have an answer, um, account for contamination? Does ACI give you that information? Because there is such a high level of contamination, particularly in recyclables, um, given that given that um, so many plastics in particular are not recyclable. Um, and then also there is contamination in, in the compost and the green waste that just happens a lot. So I'm curious if ACI um, provided you with that information. Okay, thank, thank you um, for your comments. I will note that this is um, a public comment, not Q&A, but I also know that staff had some time left on their time. So you might, um, you might uh, hold that thought and we can address, we can answer it then. Okay, so why don't we see other comments that we have? Uh, Ruth Abbey, welcome, Speaker Abbey. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. I'm Ruth Abbey, a colleague of Lawrence uh, and um, the uh, on the Okapi project and a member of the Steering Committee of Community Action for Sustainable Alameda. I wanted to give a little bit more context on the Alameda Reusables to Go project. Uh, we have been working through a grant that the City of Alameda Public Works staff supported uh, through Stop Waste and the Altamont Education Advisory Board. It's been a three-year project to identify and pilot opportunities for um, reusables to go. This is a really exciting project, very cutting edge, and I really thank um, Laria and others for the um, support of this project, um, Mark and everybody at the city. Um, we, it's a partnership with the Amplify Club at Alameda High, and through them, we are recruiting other cafes and including boba shops, where as you know, a lot of our boba shops are not compliant with our um, foodware ordinance that requires no single use plastics. So we continue to collaborate with the city to um, see if we can find a solution for everyone with uh, um, 
to be com compliant with our foodware ordinance and move to reusables instead of single-use disposables. I did want to offer the assistance of CASA, uh, as we have done in the prior updates to uh, the city's zero waste implementation plan. Uh, we would love to partner with the city and its consultant in community outreach in support of the goals, including um, incorporating equities, equitable solutions. We would like to continue to support on the zero waste culture change. We think we're doing a good job in Alameda. Alameda is a leader within Alameda County and therefore the world. And uh, we would like to continue to partner with the city staff on uh, projects to advance um, the city's programs. So thank you for the opportunity to um, support this item and we look forward to continued success on our road to zero waste. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we will close public comment on um, this item 7A. And um, I, I do wanna, I'm glad that um, we just heard from Ruth Abbey. I wanna commend CASA, which is Community Action for Sustainable Alameda for all their wonderful work over the years. Um, I think you all still had some time on left on your clock. Um, Mr. Green, Ms. Accord, did you wanna answer that question we heard about, does diversion rate account for contamination? And there was something about um, the green trash can get, you, you heard it. Yes, I will take a stab at it. Um, essentially, the, the diversion rate is uh, something that CalRecycle uh, determines. So we, we report each year uh, on our uh, total disposal and our total recycling and organics. It uh, does not take into account contamination. Um, that is something we continue to work with our ACI sustainability specialist and SES engineers to try to, to, try to clean those uh, streams up. It is also a part of the SB 1383 regulations that everyone, uh, residents, businesses, multifamilies are required to properly celebrate, uh, separate, um, and there could be enforcement um, if folks are not doing that correctly. Thank you for that, okay. Um, and I would also um, ask city staff if it's possible, and I think there may already be some of this happening, and I do see our um, base reuse and economic development folks in the audience, but to the city manager, can we reach out to our business associations, DABA, WABA, the chamber, to see if they can help talk up the use of these reusables in various local businesses? Yes, absolutely. That's great, thank you. Council, comments, a motion. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. I do have a follow-up question in regards to um, penalizing uh, the, I guess, the residents and businesses for uh, putting items in the wrong um, bin. I know that's been announced recently, but uh, a concern that I've heard uh, is that we have people that actually go through our trash when we take it out. Um, people, other people put things in our uh, trash. They, a lot of us don't have uh, our trash cans on like the side of our house or when we pull them out. Of course, they're right in front of our house. So how, how are we supposed to um, control you know, the use of our trash cans and not be penalized? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, really what we're talking about is something very egregious, um, continued uh, contamination in a particular bin, uh, excuse me, bin. Unfortunately, there's no easy solution to that. I mean, these are the regulations that are handed down by the state in terms of SB 1383 and contamination monitoring and making sure people are separating properly. Um, there are obviously, you can lock bins. Um, 
There's education, um, which we continue to do. But unfortunately, if somebody were to come by and you know drop a bunch of stuff in your, your trash can, you would ultimately be on the hook for it at that time unless you have cameras to be able to determine who was, <laughs> who was doing that. And, and I wish I had a better answer for you, but again, this is part of the regulations for Senate Bill 1383. And can you tell me what the penalties are? Uh, generally, it is a non-collection fee, so you would either be able to uh, remove the contamination or you would pay a small fee to ACI to have it dumped as garbage. So when would we remove the contamination? You usually will get a, uh, typically it's a courtesy notice to begin with that says, hey, we found X, Y, or Z in one of the streams. Um, if it continues to happen, then there would be a non-collection notice and you would then have to schedule an additional pickup with ACI. So then they don't pick up our trash? Is that what that means? Wouldn't be your trash at this point. It would be either It'd be the recycling. Or organics. Or the organics. So there are locks that we can put on our trash cans? Is that what you said? Yes. There's do a you hat. sell those or do you provide those? ACI does. ACI provides locks? How do we get locks? That's actually the first time I've heard of that. Uh, we can you contact customer service and let them know you'd like a cart with a hasp and lock on it. So we can all uh, do that for our green and our blue uh, so that we don't get penalized, apparently. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. I've got a follow-up question. How does that work on collection day? Uh, the driver would have a key. So the driver has to get out of their truck and unlock it. Yep. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, any other questions, comments, motion? Councilmember Jensen. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I, my questions have to do with the, um, well, my first question with the food ordinance that's mentioned in the presentation. Can you um, comment about the impact of the food ordinance on the ability to reach the targets? Uh, the food ordinance is a challenge, obviously, with what happened with, during the pandemic. Um, that really set us back, you know, countywide, statewide. Um, we are, we've just recently sent out over 300 letters to our food, where, our food establishments reminding them of our ordinance. We do have Rethink Disposable out in the field to try to help ma people make that switch. Um, and I think as of the last two months, we've had about nine uh, straws reports, so we are beginning the enforcement process with that. Uh, and hopefully that will continue to, to help reduce the amount of items that are, are making its way into the various streams. And um, you or the city manager can remind us of the enforcement provisions and the um, penalties? Sure. Uh, Which haven't been, as you mentioned, have not been um, imposed at, at this point. At this point, so we uh, will issue a notice of violation when we receive a report. Uh, an establishment will then have 45 days to uh, at least demonstrate to us that they're getting into compliance. Um, failure to do that would trigger another notice of violation, and again, 45 days to try to get that into compliance. Uh, failure to respond again would trigger the first fine of $250. Again, 45 days to try to get into compliance, 500, and then 1,000 in perpetuity until they get into compliance. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the, the education that's going on right now. That's important. Also, um, with regard to the food recovery program and enhanced organics management, there in the presentation, eight accounts mentioned that are um, without organic service. That's not, uh, as I understand it, that's not um, by ordinance. That's not, there are penalties associated with that from the city. It would be from the, uh, the solid waste, uh, stop right. waste is currently enforcing on right. that aspect of it. Um, 
but yeah, we, we anticipate getting everyone into compliance. Um, it is a, it, but that is, and the enforcement on that does take place by the county. And so the city identifies the, those organizations that aren't in compliance, the city, are you doing outreach and um, providing support to those, those oh, organizations? Yes, ACI, sustainability specialist has been out there, SES engineer has been out there. Um, and so we transfer that data over to Stop Waste and then they handle the enforcement. Um, and so now I wanna ask about both of those, the Food Ordinance and the Food Recovery Program, the, the SB 1383 compliance. Can you tell me um, how our largest employers, our uh, Alameda Hospital and Alameda Unified School District, are they in compliance or are we doing oversight directly or are those organizations independently overseen? Uh in terms of compliance with having organic service? Exactly, organics and of course with the foodware, I would, Alameda would be overseeing those, I would. Uh, they are, the, all fact. of those lo locations you mentioned are in compliance with the uh, organics collection. Uh, in terms of the foodware ordinance, it's a little bit uh, dicier because some of that material is coming from out of Alameda and that's kind of a loophole there. Um, if it's being generated outside and just being brought in via, um, you know, truckload to, to the various cafes. We don't have quite the, the same amount of um, enforcement opportunities. Well, that's helpful. So the food or ordinance doesn't require, it's not about serving it, it's about what, what, what food where is provided to the company or the, the restaurant or the provider? Well, the, if, it's an, if it's a restaurant here in the city, they would be required to participate in the ordinance and, and comply with the ordinance. If it's coming from, let's say, Oakland, for instance, and right. it's being brought into the schools, we don't have the same type of oversight on that. Right, and they're not restaurants, to be fair, or as neither is the hospital. So um, just, if we can just include them in our outreach, that would be helpful, I would appreciate that. Absolutely, we're looking at ways to try to get reusable trays at our schools now. Um, we've got a couple of schools on Bay Farm Island that have uh, uh, engaged in that pilot, so we look to continue to expand that. And so, um, with all this work that's being done, are you, uh, expecting, anticipating that these, that the targets will be reached in the next, when you report back or sometime? In terms of the overall diversion rate? Right. Um, great question. I mean, realistically, we're gonna have to change the way we do business in the city. Um, reusables are really the way to go. Recycling and organic composting is a, is a great sort of fallback, um, but we need to think about how we're consuming items. And that's really the only way we're gonna get there. I agree, and I appreciate your work on this, but we do have a, not a long way, but a ways to go, definitely. So um, let's keep moving on it. I also, in closing, want to thank Ruth Abbey and Community Action for Sustainable Alameda, which has pushed, pushed and partnered with with Alameda to reduce landfill and by educating residents and businesses since 2004, 2005. So. Um, yeah, keep it up, keep yeah, working on it. Councilmember Jensen, do you wanna mention your um, affiliation? Because I believe you sit on a relevant board, don't you? Well, I, and um, staff probably knows that I sit on the Stop Waste Board representing the city of Alameda. And um, Alameda is actually recognized fairly regularly for composting for the organizations that we have in town that are doing work and getting grants through Stop Waste to, to compost, to partner with, um, with restaurants, et cetera, for the Okapi program. Uh, so we're, we're working on it. And I, um, I think staff knows where we have to go and the outreach and, and arm twisting is gonna be important for that. Thank you. <laughs> Outreaching, okay. Um, Councilmember Herrera Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. So I just wanna follow up um, in regards to the fines or uh, to the residents. Uh, um, 
Is there any discretion that the city has in that or ACI has in that or that's all in the legislature? That, uh, in terms of issuing those? Uh, no, that is the legislation. Um, essentially, we, ha we have to enforce on the fact that people need to properly separate. It's no longer an option. Garbage goes in the garbage, organics goes in the green bin, recycling goes in the blue. You gotta do it. But my question goes to, is it actually spelled out what the fine is uh, yeah, to the residents? We do have, to have an enforceable uh, mechanism, yes. My question is the amount of the fine and the number of times there's warnings, is that all specified in, in, the, um, in the law that we are just enforcing, or is there any discretion? No, there is some discretion. Again, we do use uh, courtesy notices to begin with to notify a resident or a business that they have put items in the wrong container, and then after two uh, courtesy notices, then it would become a non-collection notice, and that would be where you would either, again, go back and clean it, that container out and have it picked up, or there would be the, the uh, contamination fee. But all of that is discretionary. That's not itemized in the law. Correct. Thank you. That was my uh, question. Thanks. And for the bright spot in the horizon, I think a few of us on the council were recently on the Green Ribbon Schools tour, which were um, two of our schools, one in Harbor Bay, Bay Farm Elementary, and the other in the East End, Edison Elementary, were recognized by the... U.S. Department of Education for their work in green practices. And it was so lovely to see these little kids at lunchtime. And they're just sorting into the, the bins. And so, you know, start them young, and it just becomes a, a lifelong habit. But uh, kudos to AUSD and the schools and the parents and the teachers and the volunteers for getting behind that. Councilmember Jensen. Oh, did, oh, I'm sorry. Councilmember Vela. Yeah, I, I just wanted to... to um, state that you know, Councilmember Jensen had asked about some of our larger employers, and actually, our our schools here in Alameda have have been doing, um, and have been actually leading the nation in terms of doing the sorting work on campuses, in many ways. And they were early implementers at, at a number of our schools even before the state law went into effect, and was act and, and was actually held up as an example um, at the time the the legislation was pending. So. Just wanted to make sure that was noted. All that great information. So what I'm looking for is a motion to um, approve the, uh, or to authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with HFH and consultants for everything that the city clerk announced to us earlier. Do I have a motion? I moved. Uh, I have a motion by Councilmember Vella, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? No. Any abstentions? That motion passes four to one. Thank you so much. All right. We're going to move on now to item 7B. And as staff is getting ready and coming up, I just want to, you've been a great audience so far. Thank you so much for your patience. I know things take a little time, and we try to keep them moving along. And to help us move things along and also to make it as welcoming an environment for public speakers as possible, we do ask you to remember that this is a business meeting. You will all get the equal amount of time to talk, but we ask that you not then applaud or boo or do the wave or, you know, whatever. Just a business meeting where we'll move speakers along one after the other, the city will intersperse uh, in-person speakers with ones I point up. I mean, they're not in the sky, but the voice comes down from there, so it seems like it. Um, and so anyway, that's that's the, the very simple ground rules, and um, then we'll just get through as 
expeditiously as possible and, um, and have a great council discussion afterwards. And with that, I want to welcome, um, shall I start with city manager, um, Jennifer Ott. I think we were going to do the same thing. I don't want to take up staff no, time, but I do yeah. want to introduce Abigail Thorne-Lyman, Abby Thorne-Lyman, um, as she goes by. And she's here. This is her first presentation. Obviously, we're throwing in into the deep end here, but uh, we're very glad to have her and just want to um, introduce her as well. She kicks off this item. So I will tell you for those who haven't met her yet, and I hope you have an opportunity to, that um, Ms. Thorne Lyman stepped off the BART train to come to Alameda. <laughs> she had been with BART for um, a number of years in charge of real estate and development, especially transient transit-oriented development around various BART stations. So we're very fortunate to have her as the head of um, base. Base for use base and economic development. For use and yeah. economic development. So, okay, I'll so turn it over that, to her and um, welcome. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and, and uh, good evening, and good evening, members of the City Council. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, we're here tonight to discuss the potential for a lease um, of Building 11, located at 1190 West Tower in Alameda Point, to Science Corporation. Oh, does this not, do I just need to, oh. Or you say next slide, please. That okay, we're going with next well. slide, please. <laughs> next slide, please, that. actually, thank you. Um, so the subject property is located at the um, corner of West Tower Ave and Monarch Street. Um, it is uh, part of a complex of four, four buildings, Building 11, um, in the middle is Building 400A and 400, and Sail Drone in Building 12, just to orient you a little bit. It's roughly 110,000 square feet um, uh, and, uh, is it on, um, and it's also up against Seaplane Lagoon. Oh, did that work? Oh, that might have worked. Um, so staff went through a competitive RFP process to select a potential tenant for this building. And the criteria considered for this, um, uh, through this evaluation really uh, leaned heavily into the city's goals, primarily financial stability for Alameda Point and for the city of Alameda, as well as economic development goals. Um, so staff considered a number of criteria in those two categories. And I really just wanna emphasize that though I am in week four on the job, it is very clear as I've come in and, and been pouring myself through the city's economic development strategic plan and other documents that the city has for years consistently said that life sciences is a top priority for business retention, job attraction, and job growth in the city of Alameda. And a number of the plans and policies are listed on this slide. Uh, Science Corporation came out on top um, in this evaluation, and they really fit the bill in terms of a company that meets these goals. First and foremost, Science Corporation is a local Alameda business that is based in the Marina Village, um, that is bursting at the seams and looking for a new home to expand into. Um, secondly, they are very innovative and what they are working on is very mission driven in terms of trying to develop a device that will be implanted into the eye to cure blindness. Um, so it's a very, very exciting uh, work that they are doing. Um, and they would like to stay in Alameda and this space um, would enable them to grow. Um, they anticipate a five-fold growth in jobs by uh, 2030. Uh, there's uh, been a lot of concern about animal testing around uh, Science Corporation, and I do just want to note that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration requires uh, a certain amount of animal testing before a device such as the device being developed by Science Corporation can be tested on humans. The FDA determines the type and, and number of animal tests that will occur, um, and as you can imagine, 
there is a tremendous amount of oversight. This, the, the number of federal, state, and county agencies that are overseeing the animal testing that is occurring um, is listed in the staff report. In addition, um, Science Corporation has informed us that they have standards that are set by the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee, or IACUC, um, that the, the USDA enforces, and the USDA does this by random inspections of the vivarium. So there is currently a vivarium under construction um, at the Science Corporation headquarters, and there would be a vivarium proposed um, in Building 11. I would also note that in the lease that is proposed and before you in the staff report, uh, Section 6.1 requires compi compliance with all federal laws pertaining to animal use and handling. So in other words, if Science Corporation were to violate federal law, that would be a cause for termination of the lease. I also wanted to touch on view corridors for a minute. I know I'm learning about this very important topic in Alameda Point. And um, the Waterfront Town Center specific plan identifies some critical view corridors throughout Alameda Point. And on the graphic on the right-hand side, the purple view corridors along West Tower and um, the taxiway are considered to be the, um, the um, character-defining view corridors uh, that are really designed to reinforce <coughs> the views along the historic street grid pattern in Alameda Point. The blue are other view corridors that are also important, but the, the view corridors are in the plan specifically to guide future infill development as development occurs on the parking lots and in the other empty spaces of Alameda Point. So the views are along the streets. Um, the Science Corporation would be leasing the surrounding parking area as well as the building, Building 11, um, and there is currently a fence surrounding this parking area. Um, they would be permitted to do some temporary sto storage, although they are not, they're not stating an intent to do temporary storage, and any temporary storage would have to be surrounded by a fence that, would, that's, who, that the design would be approved by the city. Um, so um, this is just a closer up view of the, of the leased area, which is the hatched with the pink built the building. Um, in terms of the lease terms, this is, would be a 10-year lease with two five-year options to extend, so 20 years potentially, starting at a rent of $1.10 per square foot, which is fair market value, a rent escalator each year of 3.5%, with the first year rent being a lease credit to offset building improvement expenses that Science Corporation would expect to, to incur. Um, and overall, the estimated net present value of this lease to the city is, over 20 years is $24 million. So with that, staff recommendation is to hold this public hearing and approve the introduction of an ordinance approving the draft lease with Science Corporation. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Thorne-Lyman. Ms. Ott, did you want to add anything? Okay, with that, let me see if um, there are any clarifying questions from the council before we go to uh, public comment. Council Member Harris Spencer. Thank you. I wanna thank you for the presentation. So you mentioned the vivarium um, is, sounds like it's in the process of being moved. Uh, have you seen it? I have not seen it. Uh, does anyone have um, an idea of how many mammals we are talking, animals we're talking about being um, at this new location? I think that would be a question best put to the Science Corporation. I don't have the answer to that. Uh, uh, and part of it I just want to add is due because the FDA kind of determines some of that and there is my understanding and it would be best for Science Corp to, but my understanding of my conversations with them is that's still being discussed. There is a discussion about whether or not 
they could just do testing in rabbits or whether or not they're going to have to do tests in other types of animals like primates. And so that's under discussion. So I don't know, I don't know that if they even know the answer to that, but we certainly can, we can ask them and be happy to have them testify to that. Well, I appreciate that. So the city's offering a lease. Does the lease limit the n maximum number of animals? How many primates? How many rabbits? How many uh, mice? We don't because we, I think the intent is for them to bring this product to to be able to be tested on humans and then eventually to market so that, and so that's really going to be, a, we don't know yet because the FDA hasn't determined that. And if they, if they can't allow what the FDA allows, then they won't be able to manufacture their product. And, but we could, another suggestion, Mayor, would be that we could have, um, we did this, I think, with the PICA lease, but if you'd like, we'd also have um, that essentially the lessee or prospective lessee uh, speak for three to five minutes now, and then that way they might be able to answer some of these questions ahead of time. I think Councilmember Harris Spencer's questions might be answered more directly that way, less speculatively. Councilmember Vela? My preference would be if, before we hear from them actually getting the public comment, oh. Oh, okay. and that way if there are further questions, that, then we can use some of that time to answer some of the questions. I just think it would be more efficient. All right, and of the other companies that applied for the building, um, was this company the, have, did it have the strongest financials? My understanding based on the review that I've seen is that there was a developer that was gonna build the suit that was also had strong financials, the SRM, we worked with them before. Um, and that, but then yes, Science Corp was, they, you know, they both had, you know, stronger and they didn't have weak financials and that they they had strong financials the other prospective tenants that were actual kind of businesses uh, we had our financial consultant review and they did have weaker financials so i think staff would probably have some concern recommending those with weak financials okay but i received an email that um i want to confirm that it's public information for oh, me yes, today of course mm -hmm. all right so and it shared that science corp had medium financials but that um SRM had strong financials, so why would staff be recommending a company that didn't have strong financials when there was, in fact, an applicant with strong financials? Yeah, we balance a number of different things, like w the goals that um, um, Director Thornlyman mentioned. So in the case of Science Corp, we liked the fact that they were bringing lots of jobs. We knew exactly what, who the tenant was. They were bringing jobs. They were growing. They're an existing business that we're helping to expand locally. And then we also liked the double bottom line of the, that their, their product was going to be helping humanity. In the, uh the um, applicant that had the strong financials, can I say the name of it? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, it was SRM, which is Joe Ernst, mm -hmm. uh, who I think uh, has done very good work in the city. So I'm trying to figure out why staff didn't recommend the strong financials of SRM over this company. We thought that actually having specifics on the type of use, what SRM does is essentially speculatively purchases or leases buildings, invest money into the building, and then turns around and leases the building for you know, potentially more, more money um, because they have to get a return on the investment that they put into that building and, and that is speculative and we wouldn't know the exact use and staff thought helping an existing business that was growing and expanding and being able to know exactly what type of use was there that that would be more favorable. And that's why we're recommending it. All right, and does the city have any other buildings that they rent out to businesses uh, that do experiments on animals? That we're leasing? Yes, the that's city leasing. property. No. 
Does the city know of any other businesses in Alameda that does experiments on animals? I don't have the names, I don't know, but I know that there are other vivariums in the city, yes. Thank you. Okay, uh, other council clarifying questions? Okay, seeing none, let's go to public comment. Madam Clerk. And um, right now, as of this time, uh, the count of the speakers is up to 28. Um, and it's rising remotely, and I don't know if anybody else in the audience has them, but so I'll call five um, in person and then five remotely. Um, so it's starting with the five in person, David Phoenix. Oh, and the, so you'll each get two minutes each, sorry. Uh, David Phoenix, Philip, Jennifer B, Ashley L, and Beth C with David Phoenix up first. Um, the, um, I had a question from my council colleague, if speakers could say where they're from, and the answer is no. A speaker, am I correct, Madam, uh, Mr. City Attorney, speakers don't even have to identify themselves. But Mr. Shen, would you just uh, uh, clarify for us on that? Sure, Madam Mayor. The uh, state law does not require speakers to identify themselves, though they could choose to voluntarily identify themselves. Welcome. Thank you for your attention. So the opposition I've read to this proposal so far has primarily been from animal rights groups, and I wanted to offer three observations for the council's consideration. The first is that more animals will be killed in one week by opening a new local burger shop or wing joint than will ever be killed in the process of the perhaps life-saving medical research proposed to be done in this facility. And it seems unfair to allow new restaurants to open while also blocking this potentially life-saving work. The second, is that we just heard the council recognize October as Disability Awareness Month. I have a visually impaired family member, and the very device science is proposing to build would enable them and millions more like them to live a richer and more self-sufficient life. On the day we're declaring Disability Awareness Month, how could we also vote against supporting the very technologies that could benefit our disabled community in the future? And finally, I don't see this even as an argument about saving animals. Humans are animals too. We're all alive today because animal testing, treatments for cancer, for diabetes, for HIV, AIDS, Alzheimer's, antibiotics, all of these life-saving cures had to be tested on animals first. My own father owes his life to a pacemaker that had to be tested on animals. And if you someday need a pacemaker or an insulin pump, you will owe your ability to get one to a council like this one that chose to vote to allow technologists to work on building it and testing to make sure it's safe on animals first. This is not a choice to save or not save animals. This is a choice of how many and which ones. I hope you choose to save the millions of human animals that this research will benefit. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. And our next speaker, Philip. Welcome, Speaker Philip. Madam Mayor, Council Members, thank you for the opportunity to, to comment. Um, Science Corp was founded and is run by Max Hodak, who co-founded co and um, served as president of Neuralink until 2021. And public records show that during Hodak's leadership at uh, Neuralink, monkeys were subjected to Joseph Mengele-style brain experiments. Despite the FDA oversight and all the other um, organizations that, we, that we're assured will be looking, looking over their shoulders. So how did those experiments go? 
Wired magazine tells us that during the months leading up to her death in March 2019, and days after implant surgery, Animal 15 began to press her head against the floor for no apparent reason, a symptom of pain or infection. The records say, staff observed that though she was uncomfortable, she still picked and pulled at her implant until it bled. She'd often lie at the foot of her cage and spread, spend her time holding hands with her roommate. Animal 15 began to lose coordination and staff observed that she would shake uncontrollably when she saw lab workers. Her condition deteriorated for months until the staff finally euthanized her. Months, months, right? Your worst migraine for months. A necropsy report indicates she had been bleeding in her brain and the implants had left parts of her cerebral cortex focally tattered. There are multiple stories of long-term agony of all, all equally as horrific as that of the poor soul called Animal 15. At this time, while other companies are developing devices, the question is, do we want people who do, this, do, who do this working in our community, people who fight freedom of information requests because their lives would be in danger if the public knew what they were doing to our nearest cousins? Where are the lines that we draw that say no? It doesn't matter how much money you think Thank you're you going to make. Thank you for your comments. Our next, speak our next speaker is Jennifer B. Welcome, Jennifer B. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here tonight, and I thank you for your time. Uh, my name's Jennifer, and I'm a lead scientist at Science. Uh, I completed my PhD at Cambridge University in the UK before moving to the Bay Area to pursue my uh, postdoctoral work at UC Berkeley. I joined Science almost two years ago uh, as one of the company's first biological sciences, scientists. I consider myself extremely fortunate to have found a home here, and I am truly honored to be part of such an ambitious, conscientious, and driven company. My role at Science focuses on leading our preclinical gene therapy program. I work closely with human ophthalmic surgeons, learning how uh, learning about how their patients can benefit from the gene therapy and ocular implants that we're developing. This close relationship has allowed us to learn about the patient population we are developing our therapy for, and specifically, uh, that focuses on patients with complete or near-complete vision loss due to degeneration of their photoreceptors. Um, and this close collaboration ensures that we stay focused on how our research can have the greatest impact on helping them. The goal of our preclinical program is to demonstrate the safety and the efficacy of our gene therapy so that we can be confident when delivering the first therapies to our human patients. Much of our work is done ex vivo, where we assess the sterility, uh, purity, and composition of our gene therapy. The FDA also do require some degree of animal testing for the safety reasons before we can use our therapy on humans. We take the planning, design, and the con conduct of our animal research extremely seriously, and we pursue this work with the highest integrity. What drives me each day is the real possibility of being able to restore vision to somebody who has been blind for much of their lives. I also personally love living and working in the Bay Area, and I'm extremely Thank fortunate. Thank you so much for your comments. Our next speaker. Ashley L. Welcome, speaker Ashley L. And feel free to bring that microphone down about in line with your mouth. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hi, uh, my name is Ashley, and I am the registered veterinary technician at Science Corporation. 
Um, I'm a Bay Area native, and I started my career working in veterinary clinics and emergency veterinary hospitals. Um, I eventually made my transition into lab animal medicine when I started working um, in academia at UCSF, and then eventually, eventually transitioned into the private sector. Um, so let me start by saying that working with animals in research, it's emotionally draining. Um, it's difficult work, um, for sure. Um, but I do believe that this is my duty um, to really ensure that these animals uh, have the best life that they possibly could have. Um, we do this by providing um, high value enrichment, socialization time with humans and also other animals if they choose to do so. Um, and of course, we do also minimize the amount of uh, pain or distress that these animals will have. Um, we have a team of veterinarians, veterinary technicians, uh, behaviorists, and animal care specialists um, that help ensure that our animals are cared for at the highest standard. Our program truly wants to elevate and change the industry standards um, that have been set by regulatory agencies. And so that if it is necessary for an animal to be used in research, um, they can still have a fulfilling life. While I look forward to the day that animals are no longer needed in research, we're, we're really just not quite there yet. Um, and until then, I'm going to continue to be a voice and advocate for animals because they are the true heroes um, for their contributions to advancing human medicine. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Betsy. Welcome, Betsy. Uh, good evening. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come and speak with you. Uh, my name is Beth, and I'm an optical engineer at Science. Uh, I'm working on medical devices that can help cure certain types of blindness. Um, I've worked in the field of optics for about 20 years, uh, most recently as a professor in, in Europe. Um, and I've mainly specialized in the types of technologies that we're developing at Science. These technologies have matured in academic environment decades, and so we know that they work at a fundamental level, uh, but academic research is very slow and a very indirect path to um, improving human health. A company like Science, on the other hand, really aims to put devices into the clinic and into patients' homes. Um, Science is aiming to restore vision to patients that suffer from blindness because they've lost the cells that normally uh, sense light. This is a problem that's personal to me because uh, some of my family members have such degenerative vision loss. And it's a devastating experience. Losing sight forces one to relearn almost every aspect of your daily life. Um, and what's lost forever to these patients is the ability to experience a sunset or look into their loved ones' faces. Uh, science is working to change that. And this is the mission that inspired me to return to the Bay Area because we have an incredibly talented team of um, scientists and engineers, and their dedication gives me hope that we are really going to make a difference in the lives of patients. Um, the approach that we have is not just smart business practice, but we also have a very strong commitment to the ethical practices surrounding our animal research. And as a longtime vegetarian and animal lover, this is extremely important to me. I, I wouldn't work at this company if I felt that that didn't that their animal work was not performed at the highest possible standard. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Um, I'll call the next five that'll be remote, uh, starting with Crystal Heath. Welcome, Crystal P. 
Hi, my name is Dr. Crystal Heath. I am a veterinarian here in Berkeley and the executive director of Our Honor, a nonprofit that supports and empowers veterinarians in creating more ethical systems that work for the best interests of all species, including humans. Um, we represent many registered veterinary technicians, laboratory workers, and veterinarians who have left their work from harmful corporations like Science Corp and suffered the psychological effects of causing harm to animals. We need to ensure companies like Science Corp, which conducts experiments on animals in outdated and unethical ways, cannot expand their harmful business model here in our county. Whether or not they obey the law is too low of a standard for our community. Different species react differently, starting with the development of the polio vaccine. Harmful animal experiments for the benefit of humans have delayed the development of treatments and cures. How many cures have we tossed out because they failed in other species but would have helped humans? Many people suffering from diseases do not want animals to be maimed before potential treatments can be tried on them. All species are suffering and dying while we wait on how a possible treatment works in a completely different species. Research and science are vital, but when outdated and harmful research like this company does, testing on animals who will not directly benefit from these experiments, animals who are confined in unnatural and stressful settings, not only harms the animals, it harms the human workers who suffer psychological distress from having to witness and cause harm to animals when they could have been working in a more ethical research setting, advancing science in ways that directly help all species. And some workers do not realize the harm they have suffered until years later. So please do not allow this company to expand its business here. Thank you. Our next speaker. Paul Darwin Picklismer. I'm not sure the last name. Welcome, Speaker Paul. <laughs> I think he just lowered his hand. I lost oh, him. Do we need to make our Zoom announcements? Yes, Madam that's Clerk? a great idea. Um, so anybody participating remotely, if you please make sure you have the most um, current version of Zoom. Um, that way, if we go to promote you, you will be able to speak. He's gone from the whole meeting, so let me just go on to the next one. Um, Ryan uh, Merkley. Welcome, Speaker Merkley. Good evening. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Ryan Merkley, and I'm speaking on behalf of the Nonprofit Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. We strongly urge you to reject its proposed lease for Science Corp. Please consider the statements of employees who worked under Science Corp CEO Max Hodak at Neuralink, which conducted debilitating, deadly, botched experiments on monkeys and other animals while he was president until May 2021. Neuralink employees have told reporters of the company's sloppy work that resulted in animal suffering and unnecessary deaths. Just two weeks ago, the magazine Wired reported that for animals at Neuralink, the prospect for survival was abysmal due in part to, quote, poor planning and poor procedure, unquote. That same Wired article detailed how Neuralink has worked hard to hide photographs and video footage of the experiments from the public. One researcher familiar with the photos conceded that they are particularly gruesome, stating, quote, a macaque skull with the flesh torn out of it is not a pretty image, unquote. Neuralink has been under investigation at various points by the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the U.S. Department of Transportation for incidents that occurred under Hodak's leadership. The Department of Transportation investigation was sparked by public records that revealed Hodak's employees 
likely failed to follow federal laws when transporting infectious pathogens carried by monkeys. In April 2019, an employee at UC Davis, where Neuralink conducted experiments, wrote in an email that the university's primate center is, quote, at risk from monkey-contaminated hardware, unquote, because of the sloppy actions of Neuralink's employees. Now, Hodak wants to use public land to conduct more monkey experiments. We urge you to keep that from happening. Lastly, I just want to point out that 75% of medical device startups in the United States fail to ever make a device that comes to market. So let's not put our hope in this device and this company. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, our next speaker is a caller, um, and the last three digits of the number are 593. So hopefully they... Welcome, telephone caller. They've unmuted Hi, my name, can you hear me? We can, hi. Great, thank you so much for allowing us to have public comment on this really important issue. My name is Carla Cabral, and I was a former uh, research scientist for many years, so this is very personal for me. I was under the watchful eye of IACUC myself when I did research, and I did research that had to do with curing Alzheimer's, uh, which my father had and died from, and my grandmother also had and died from. So it was very important to me. So I get what the other people were saying about how important it is to do this research and how personal it can be. But as a research scientist, I saw horrible and did horrible things to animals. And I said the exact same things, that these animals were heroes, that they were giving their life so that we could find a cure for others. And I understand that this is something that we all want. But again, as other people have mentioned, over 90% of the experiments that are done on other species fail in human trials. This is just not the way forward. And I thought if I were part of it, I could help these animals have the best life possible because I spent over 11 years as an emergency room veterinary technician. So I thought that I could change the system from within, but it's just not possible. These animals are treated very cruelly, no matter how well you think they're doing. And even if they were treated like royalty, again, the ends do not justify the means. We have to start looking for better ways forward so that we can actually find good cures for everybody without this cruelty. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Kylie, also from? Same number? No, it didn't. Uh, okay. Oh, oh I said, sorry, in, we're now in person. No, 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 this no. is still remote. Okay, I guess we have another Kylie in the room, so. Oh, did you? Oh, James, perhaps? Okay. I wouldn't know. All right. James perhaps. calling from Kylie's phone, perhaps? Hello? Do we have a speaker? We've unmuted. Is there speaker James? Are you there? Unmuted. They're unmuted, but they're not speaking, so... Okay. Why don't we hold off, hold on, off that on that one, one? Okay. for the moment? Um, then, then we'll go to uh, Curtis Volomar. Welcome, Speaker Volomar. Volomar, yeah. Volomar. Hello, check, check. Hello. Hi, yeah, my name is Curtis Volomar. I'm the president of a um, animal and uh, environmental nonprofit in the East Bay, Compassionate Bay. 
and I want to speak on behalf of the animals that have suffered and died, the roughly 1,500 animals that had suffered and died under uh, Neuralink since 2018 under the helm of uh, Max Hodak, who is the, the Science Corp CEO. Public records have shown that under his leadership, some monkeys have been subjected to invasive brain experiments, chronic infections, internal bleeding, and death. Um, this is um, absolutely disgusting. I can't help but think of the public backlash against this. There's been countless um, uh, uh, protests here in the East Bay. The East Bay has a rich history of animal rights advocacy. Um, there have been many people working to get rid of Golden Gate Fields, which is one of the last remaining kind of outward symbols of animal exploitation here in the East Bay. And to think that there's going to be some new facility here um, where numerous animals are going to die um, is extremely disheartening. Um, this is completely unethical. It's bad science. 95 out of 100 tests on animals fail on humans. This is wasteful, archaic, and unnecessary. Money economic development and profit should never come at the expense of animals, humans, or the planet. And the fact that there was even some better, more profitable, or, or uh, more better suited financial business that could have came in here makes this thing even all the more terrible. Um, yeah, this is just incredibly heartening. Um, I'm surprised this is even being voted on. I encourage everyone to think of a pet that they've had, a dog or a cat, or even any sort of loved one, being held against their will, having holes drilled into their head so someone else can make money. Please vote with your conscience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Joe Ernst. Welcome, Speaker Ernst. Good evening. Um, my name is Joe Ernst. I am before you as a resident, and, but also a developer and investor in life science facilities. I do appreciate the significance of this issue uh, and the difficult decision before you tonight. Um, as many of you know, a wide range of life science and biomedical research businesses have existed in Alameda for over 40 years. Alameda continues to derive many economic and community benefits from the broad science, technology, and engineering industries. By and large, I believe most Alamedans have a deep respect for science and the benefits it provides. I also believe this community has very high ethical standards and it desires to have ongoing influence on ethical business practices. Animals have been used across many fields and many types of research. I think Alameda should remain heavily engaged with the broad science community and have a seat at the table, helping to ultimately steer industry and regulation toward alternatives. We cannot simply do this by saying no. Saying no will simply mean the science locates elsewhere, possibly to states or regions with less regard for ethical practices. We then lose this opportunity to have meaningful influence that comes from engagement. If we want to affect change and impart our values, we simply cannot say no. We need to remain engaged with the entire science community. From the correspondence I've read posted online about this issue, I would agree many researchers desire to move away from using animals. I would agree legislation has been passed suggesting animals, you know, we must no longer require use of animals. But you know we are not there yet. The demand for science grows and we should expect our businesses to operate with the highest ethical standards. It's okay to ask about their practices. You know, I've had the opportunity to meet with Max and the Science Corp team. While I have no role in this deal, I should I thank believe Alameda. Thank you for your comments. Your time is up. Our next speaker. 
I'll call the next five in person so they can be ready to go. Um, Puyon, Terrence R, Kylie A, Chris Becker, and Geraldine Golseth. With uh, Puyon up first. Hello, council members and the Alameda community. My name is Puyan. I grew up in Iran and took my PhD in Canada. Um, I chose to live in Alameda and work at science at the capacity of a scientist uh, so that uh, I, would I was hoping to be part of a team that brings life-changing medical breakthroughs to millions of people suffering from vision loss. I would like to take the opportunity here to draw your attention to some examples of um, how some of the most historic medical breakthroughs were made. COVID-19 vaccines have saved or improved millions of lives thanks to animal testing. Animals such as mice and non-human primates help to, uh, help, helps us to study how the virus affects the immune system and spreads, and to ensure the safety and effectiveness of the vaccines. Because of the animal testing, we, are not, uh, we now have several COVID-19 vaccines and have that are approved and are distributed worldwide, giving us hope and protection from the pandemic. Animal testing has also helped us to create a world with less pain and, uh, and infections by enabling the discovery and development of modern anesthesia and antibiotics. These medical breakthroughs were made possible due to testing various substances on animals such as rabbits and mice to ensure their safety and effectiveness. Because of animal testing, we now have a wide range of anesthesia options that allow us to undergo surgery without fear or discomfort and a variety of antibiotics that help us fight off diseases and heal faster. Going back through these historical scientific landmarks, one can notice a recurring theme. People who got to live longer, healthier lives alongside their loved ones and agendas or emotions which could have resulted in loss of life and enormous suffering had they been able to prevail and stop the progress of science. I'm humbly calling upon the council to help us in this difficult mission aimed at giving the... Thank you for Thank your you. comments. Your time is up. Our next speaker. Terrence R. Welcome, Speaker Terrence R. Hello, City Council. Uh, my name is Terrence, and I'm a technical writer at Science. I grew up in Mountain View just south of here and left for many years and finally came back um, first to SF and now Oakland. I explain the many complicated processes at science to internal and external stakeholders. My work includes talking with scientists, engineers, technicians, and surgeons to discover what makes them excited. And there's a lot to be excited about when you work on cures for blindness. From you know, surgeons extrapolating how many individual patients they can help, to engineers in a constant battle with ergonomics, to neuroscientists. Um, you know, designing programs to help the blind see again after being left in the dark for so, so long. But our conversations also cover the personal, and I hear about exciting new restaurants or breweries, or get invited to play sports at the park, um, or just go for a run along Alameda's gorgeous beaches. It's all a treat, and I am profoundly humbled by the, uh, the knowledge, the expertise, and the commitment to community of my colleagues that I work alongside every day. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Kylie A. Welcome, Kylie A. Good evening. Thank you, Mayor, Council Members, and Alameda community for your time this evening. My name is Kylie, and I run operations at Science Corporation. 
I had a non-traditional path to science. I joined science by way of 13 years in public education. Before coming to science, I founded an inner-city public school in San Jose that focused on integrated technology. Our broad goal was to center STEM and related disciplines toward disproportionately affected communities, giving them opportunity to be competitive in the field as they enter higher education. After three years as a principal, I brought this work to public schools nationwide, working to narrow the education gap in several states. As someone who's always been committed to social causes, the mission of science drew me in because of the impact our company can have on the advancements in medical technology and in turn, human lives. I was and am excited to work for a company that can address unmet medical needs and make the technology accessible to all patients in need. I joined science as the sixth member of the team and have worked with the team to grow from five founders to the 112 employees we have today, many of whom reside in Alameda. We have always considered Alameda our company's home and are excited to be part of Alameda Point to be able to continue our company's growth. It's been a unique privilege to expand our company over the last two years bringing on dedicated scientists, engineers, clinicians, and other experts who have expanded my own appreciation for what is possible in the world of STEM. It's incredible to work alongside so many intelligent and mission-driven individuals who are eager to reach patients and innovate around what is currently possible, and what a privilege it is to be able to do this work in Alameda. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. Chris Baker. Welcome, Speaker Baker. Hello, my name is Chris Baker. I'm a Bay Area resident, born and raised. Um, in 2013, my father, Gregory Baker, was diagnosed with CLL, a type of leukemia that's extremely intense. As you can imagine, it was exceptionally difficult for my family, my friends, and friends of my fa father. I'm sure others here have had similar stories. At that time, my father was fortunate to qualify for a human trial for the drug Ibrutinib. The human clinical trial could only occur after many animal trials. After these animal trials were approved by the FDA, my father's phase three human trial went on to be a success. Those animal, these animal research protocols and that breakthrough therapy are the reasons my dad is still alive. The use of animals in some forms of biomedical research remains essential to the discovery of causes, diagnosis, treatments and treatments of diagnosis and disease and suffering in humans and in animals. I'm sure we can all agree that every single person in this room has been affected positively by the advancement of health science, animal research, whether it was a COVID vaccine, flu shot, or something more serious like my father's cancer. Ibrutinib, Ibrutinib should sound familiar to you as the drug was founded by Alameda's very own Solera Pharma. Technically, I can thank the city of Alameda for technically saving my dad's life. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Geraldine Golseth. In person, all right, welcome. Hello, yes, Hello. Make, it, make it yours. 
<laughs> Good evening. Um, I'm not here as a, as a scientist. Um, I'm here as a, a taxpayer and a homeowner in Alameda for uh, 30 years um, and have lived here for about 50 years. Um, I was very disappointed and shocked to learn that there was going to be an expansion of uh, an animal research lab in my beautiful city. <laughs> um, I'm an animal lover and I don't take away from the enthusiasm and the passion that these scientists have for their work. Um, I, I think we all support that. Um, but what concerns me is um, using our city land to expand animal research when really society's goal should be reducing it. Um, there was one of the speakers on the phone mentioned that um, that if we say no, if you say no, um, that it would just push the lab uh, to go somewhere else um, in, a, in a, a community that might not have as high ethical standards. That is a little naive because um, from my um, knowledge of um, animal research, the United States Department of Agriculture regulates the treatment of um, animals in, in labs. Unfortunately, it doesn't do a very good job, but they're a federal agency. Nobody in the city is gonna know what's going on there. Um, and what I fear is that in a couple of years, animal rights groups will be making FOIA requests and finding out what's really going on there, um, suffering that this gentleman described earlier. And I just don't want that happening in my city. I know that the scientists mean well, but we need to move forward. And I, I just think Alameda is the type of city that just wants to be a sanctuary city, um, a city for people and for animals and to move away from animal research and to please lease the land to this other financially viable company. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. I'll call five remote, Almira Tanner. Welcome Speaker Tanner. Hi there, thank you for having having me. My name is Almira. Um, I was where a lot of those scientists were not that long ago. I was a researcher working on a device that would have saved lives. Um, we weren't using primates, we were using pigs for our experiments, but it doesn't matter. Primates, pigs, or rabbits, the animals in these labs do not consent to be there. They are harmed in these experiments and all of them are killed at the end of these experiments. And in the lab when I was there, we were constantly surrounded by propaganda, making us feel better about what we were doing. The animals are heroes. This is how we save human lives. This is told to us over and over again so that we feel okay with what we are doing. But after a particularly awful incident where I saw a pig being killed for no reason because the experiment was done and dumped in a literal garbage can, I decided I just could not do that anymore and I quit. And I think it is up to us and the city of Alameda to take a stand for these animals and to kind of set the record for a city that's gonna say no to this because if every city says no to this, then they're going to push for alternatives to be developed. There are alternatives out there, and I hear the people who say they're maybe not all the way there yet, but there is not a drive to develop them until people start speaking up and saying that they're not gonna tolerate this in their cities. I guarantee you that if every city said no more animal testing, there would be alternatives developed really quick. And Alameda uh, has a chance to send that strong signal to push for an end for animal testing and to make sure that you live up to your own values. You do not want this in your backyard. It will be exposed for the horrific animal cruelty that it's going to do. 
and that's going to be a blight on this city. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Sutton Shiranga. Welcome, Speaker Shiranga. Are you there, Speaker? Hello. There you are. Hi. Oh, hi. I'm sorry. Hi. My name is Seton Shiraga. Um, I'm the lead, sci lead mechanical engineer at Science Corporation. I've been with them for about a year and a half. Um, I've been living in Alameda myself for over 20 years. Both of my kids started school at Kitty Campus, and now they're both star students at Ensignal High. I've been lucky enough to work on the island for about half of my time here. I love this place. I love Alameda. I love the people. I love the shops. I love the restaurants. I love the beach. I love our views of the bay. And I love riding my bike to work. I work at Science Corporation because I want to have a positive impact on the world. I'm very proud to work with such great people and so many great minds, but I've also got a genetic motivation. My grandmother lost her eyesight to an ocular disease, and I really hope my kids never have to worry about that. My path to science has been long. I've worked to further science in general for my entire career because I believe in the power of knowledge. While at DOER Marine in Alameda, I was lucky enough to work on a wide range of scientific projects. We designed robots to take samples from some of the harshest environments on Earth, from Antarctica to the Mariana Trench. I got to make some really interesting machines for some interesting citizen scientists like Jim Cameron, Eric Schmidt, and Paul Allen, to name a few. My next job was off-island, but it still involved making tools for scientists. When I, when I first met the early crew at Science, it was a natural fit because I love making tools for scientists. I love making the world better. I'm excited to work at Science, at science Corporation because of the opportunity to make a positive impact on humanity. I know the cost of degenerative vision loss and I'm proud to be a part of the solution. I deeply hope that the solution is developed right here in Alameda. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Janet Davis. Welcome, Speaker Davis. Hello. My name is Janet Davis. I'm speaking for myself and Nancy Evans. I keep changing what I want to say because obviously Science Corps knew this was going to be on the agenda and they've now stacked it with all their employees. Nobody else knew. So frame this a little different. The five leading causes of blindness, refractive er errors, cataracts, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration. People will, by the time they develop this device, to put in your eye, millions of people will have gone blind because they lack basic health care from all of these treatable and preventable eye diseases. Someone brought up COVID. The fact that we had needed a COVID vaccine is because a zoonotic disease was unleashed on the planet due to improper use of animals, whether it was a lab release or a wet market. So all of the coming pandemics are zoonotic diseases from monkeys, bird flu, pig flu. We have a sick population. Everybody you know is getting cancer. So we're artificially causing cancer in animals and then trying to study it. Meanwhile, we're awash in cancer-causing chemicals, which everybody's getting cancer from. I sent you an article with a lot of links. You can read about the animal institutional animal care and use committees, which are stacked with vested interest employees. They do no oversight. 
Harvard Law School is currently suing the USDA because they're not doing oversight. We need human relevant methodologies that will move forward human health care. The former director of the National Institutes of Health said we have moved away from studying human disease in humans. We all drank the Kool-Aid, me included. The problem is that it hasn't worked and it's time we stop dancing around the problem. We need to refocus and adopt new methodologies for use in humans Thank to you. understand. Thank you, your time is up. Our next speaker. Bonnie Carlson. Welcome, Speaker Carlson. Oh, in the room, hi. No. No, not in the room, okay. I remember, oh, okay, I just saw someone get up. Yes, welcome, Speaker Carlson. It looks like they're unable to unmute, so perhaps they don't have the most current version of Zoom, so I will. Uh, oh, there, there she you goes. are. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Hi, thank you, uh, Mayor and Council members. I didn't realize I was muted. Um, I'm a local resident. I would like to urge you to reject the proposed lease on public land for Science Corporation and to pursue a different tenant. Um, I'm going to re reiterate what some of the other um, presenters have said about Science Corp. It was uh, founded and run by Max Hodak. Again, he uh, co-founded and served as Neuralink's president until 2021. Public records show that during his leadership at Neuralink, monkeys were subjected to invasive brain experiments. They suffered seizures, paralysis, chronic infections, internal bleeding and death, and the company often failed to follow its own research protocols. There's no need to develop invasive devices that kill animals. These also pose serious risks to patients. And in fact, medical um, experts have raised concerns about the health risks of such invasive devices, like the one now being developed by Science Corporation, and their significant potential for severe medical complications in patients. The company should instead opt for a more progressive focus, such as improving non-invasive devices. Researchers around the world, um, including most of Europe, now the United States, have a long-term focus on phasing out animal testing. They've already made progress to improve patient health via non-invasive methods, which do not come with risks of surgical complications, infections, or additional operations to repair malfunctioning implants. Further, non-invasive devices are also de demonstrating the ability to improve quality of life for older adults and elderly patients, to assist paralyzed patients, and to translate brain activity into intelligible speech. We need ethical, human, Thank relevant- Thank you, your time is up, our next speaker. Um, oh, let me see. Uh, Nara Dalbaca. Welcome, Speaker Dalbaca. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. Um, I do appreciate that you've got a really tough decision uh, before you tonight. Um, I'm here tonight wearing uh, my East Bay Animal Pack hat. Um, the East Bay Animal Pack uh, board voted unanimously uh, to uh, urge you to reject this proposal. Um, I, I would point you back to the incredibly eloquent and um, moving and true uh, statements made by veterinarians, researchers, um, and those who have seen the trauma and pain inflicted by animal testing and, uh, and those folks who have suffered for having to do it. 
Um, you know, it, it's a uh, there, there. You know, there's a lot of discussion about FDA and the um, and FDA oversight and the fact that Alameda uh, has higher standards than that. But I didn't hear anything in the proposal tonight from the city that the city would actually be holding. Uh, Science Corp to any of the any higher standard than 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 what the FDA requires, and what the FDA currently allows is is barbaric as you've heard, um, and and isn't actually that um, effective as as you've also heard from from folks who are much better experts in that than I am. Um, I find it uh, just as someone who deals with the city a lot, a little troubling that the city is willing to through an RFP process choose to award. Uh, a really lucrative lease and location to a business like this and wouldn't even consider leasing to a cannabis business, uh, which is uh, not going to hurt anybody and might actually heal people. Um, but the city is, uh, the city is, um, it chose this out of an RFP process um, and it's, and it's disappointing as a, as a former resident and somebody who loves animals and, and loves the city of Alameda. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, now we'll call uh, five in person, Haas, Teresa, Rayla Graber, Carol Lohr, and Robert Yumi with Haas up first. Welcome, Speaker Haas. Hello, everyone. You can raise that up so yep, you don't okay. have to hunch. Hello, everyone. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Hossein, and I want to share my personal connection to Alameda and discuss the mission of Science Corporation. Uh, five years ago, I came to the United States to pursue my PhD at the University of North Carolina. While living in Chapel Hill was enjoyable, it was during my internship at Science last summer that uh, I genuinely felt like I had found uh, a home. I would bike from Park Avenue to work daily, and although it was a 40-minute uh, bike ride, I would enjoy every minute of it, uh, thanks to Alameda's undeniable charm. Fast forward a year, uh, having completed my PhD, I'm back and now a part of the vibrant Eagle Avenue community. Uh, our transformative work drew me to science because we're at the forefront of developing vision restoration implants. Uh, each day I wake up inspired, knowing that uh, we stand on the cusp of profoundly impacting numerous lives. Uh, the mere potential of, assist, of assisting blind individual to individuals to reclaim their independence uh, fuels my professional dedication. Uh, I hope to have a long future in Alameda, uh, contributing to our groundbreaking research and being an active member of this community. To me, renting this building isn't merely a business move. It signifies a deep commitment to a community that I've grown to cherish and a mission I wholeheartedly believe in. I sincerely urge you to vote in favor of this proposal. Uh, with science as a tenant, Alameda will be gaining a dedicated partner committed to pioneering research, uh, innovation, economic growth, and community engagement. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Teresa Guarino. Welcome, Speaker Guarino. This is supposed to be a business meeting, right? What kind of business is this? Are you kidding me? We have somebody more financially viable and how is this even on the agenda? Like, I don't get it. Um, speaker, I don't if, get you, it. if you so don't here's my question. Microphone, I don't get this. This is nerve wracking. I can't even stay calm. 
everyone, I just, I just urge you to vote no. This is not how business should be done in my city. I've lived here my entire life, my entire life. You had very few am answers. Uh, it was very vague. It's very concerning as a city manager, okay. Um, I'm just, I'm shaking. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting to hear. I get where they're coming from, the scientists. I get it. But we're, wait, wait, we're a no-kill shelter. How can we have a facility that is killing over 1,500 animals, you know, in, what, was it a month? How is that possible? What hypocrisy are we, I mean, it just makes no sense. I have nothing else to say. I hope you vote no for your own moral reasons and to set a standard that Alameda should not, should not allow this kind of use on our land. And there was a cannabis, somebody wanted to do a cannabis uh, business on the, <laughs> on the base and you guys said no. And there's somebody more financially um, viable. I'm just, I'm shocked and appalled that this is really what my taxpayers' dollars are going to. So thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker, Rayla Graber. Welcome, Speaker Graber. Good evening. I lost my good notes, but I'll try and make do. I really trust that the city will reject this lease for many reasons. Uh, one is the location. I understand it's near Spirit Alley. And I really don't think the public wants to be passing in an animal research firm on the way to enjoying themselves and pleasuring themselves. If, if that is correct, I haven't been out there myself, that is bad. Um, the inter issue is very controversial. I believe you received over, well, hundreds of emails, I assume, against this. This is not the, we shouldn't be leasing city property to a company or on an issue that is that controversial. Let's not do that to, to the residents, to Alameda, to who we, we think we are, which is sort of a is kind and caring community. If this is the, I think a majority of the people, if they knew about this, and I still think, don't think they knew, would be against this. Particularly, I'm hearing about that there's something that Science Corps is doing something about blindness. Well, I've read a lot of Mr. Hodak's articles, and I hope you have read some of them. And he says nothing about curing COVID or some serious disease, nothing. What he talks about is brain exploration and experimentation. And I think once he gets those monkeys, wherever he gets them, that's what he's gonna be doing. And I think he's gonna be competing with Ellen, well, with Musk, on trying to compete with AI. In other words, you want- Thank you, your time is up. Thank you so much. Our next speaker, thank Carol you. Carol Lohr. Welcome, Speaker Lohr. Hi. Hello. I really don't have much to add. I do believe in science, but I don't believe in animal research. So I just urge you all to vote no. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Robert Umi. Robert. Do you mean anything? Oh, you're welcome. 
Mayor Ashcroft, <clears throat> Vice Mayor Daesong, and dis distinguished members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. My name is Robert Ermey, and I was one of the first 10 people hired at Sites Corporation. At that time, I had just retired from the Army after 22 years. And I was looking for a, <clears throat> I was looking for a position where I could contribute, continue to contribute to a cause that I believe in. I found the mission of science compelling, and I was excited to work with a group of people who are passionate about creating technology that will aid in human health and well-being. I was drawn to the company because of its unwavering commitment to improve human health. What stood out during our hiring process and still continues today is an emphasis on not just skill, but a deep sense of compassion towards others, including animals. I understand there have been concerns raised about our use of animals. Let me assure you, science prioritizes ethical practices. In my military journey, I've faced morally challenging situations. The key is having individuals who recognize these challenges and act with integrity. At Science, we are dedicated to improving well-being and are constantly seeking ways to reduce any harm. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, now I'll call by remote. Uh, the first is Alexander Taylor. Welcome, Speaker Taylor. Hi there. Um, I just don't want to see any more animal testing in my area at all. Um, uh, somebody in the, in the beginning said like that very few animals would die compared to like a new restaurant opening, um, and I think that it's like the difference is that uh, like animals would be like alive and being actively harmed. Um, here and I don't want um, to like reinforce the, the like that that's a norm that we consider that an okay thing to do. Um, whereas like people th see like burgers as just food and don't even make the connection that those are <laughs> animals being harmed for, for that purpose. Um, and so yeah, I mean there's improvements to be made made in, in food separately, but. Um, and then I also just want to point out, like, it's just not fair. Like, if if the monkeys were able to be here and say what they would would, would vote, that they would not want um, Science Corp to be leasing this building. I hope that they don't don't lease it here, and I hope they don't lease it for this purpose anywhere else. Um, but I do hope that they, you know, find a way around it. I'm sure they can. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I wish we could could be thinking more about how, um, you know, we talk about like hu humans and their bl and blindness, um, like affecting their ability to spend time with their loved ones and have a good quality of life. Um, and yeah, I guess my, my first thing that comes to mind for me is what, what about the monkeys? Like, are they enjoying a peaceful end to their life if they have blindness and all that stuff? Um, so yeah, I encourage you to please. Uh, find another applicant for this building. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Madeline Sadik. Welcome, Speaker Sadik. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council Members, and City Staff. Madeline Sadik, President and CEO of Alameda Chamber of Economic Alliance. As we have always advocate for businesses on the island, we continue to support the life science industry and its growth in Alameda, including at Alameda Point as well. We are thrilled to support businesses that are expanding in Alameda as they exist 
to a larger area where they can really expand and do their work diligently there, such as science. The chamber values science in each, in, I'm sorry, the, the chamber values really scientific research and encourages emerging changes. We really like to make sure that we welcome every new business that contributes to Alameda's employment and increase tax base and incidental commerce to our local economy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank our, ne our next speaker. Kylie also from, and perhaps it's James, maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right, mystery speaker, welcome. Are you there, James, perhaps? They're unmuted. Um, and Zoom updated on the... Yeah, if they can unmute, device. they should be able to speak, though, because they usually can't unmute. But um, we can call the next one. Um, let's see. Do you, um, remember, do you have the last digits of the phone number? No, because no. it's just a name. It's a Zoom. So, okay, gotcha. Yeah. The next one is Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. <laughs> Yes, quite the compelling issue tonight. I sympathize with all the people that have family members that suffer from degenerative diseases, um, but I do not believe that animal testing is the way to correct that. Um, we should put humans in that position. If it was a human, you wouldn't have to put him in the guillotine device like you do a monkey. The monkey clearly does not want to be there and is suffering extreme pain. So those images give me extreme pain. And as a hazmat first responder, I've seen some gruesome incidents. Humans burned the flesh in the street, dragging themselves already dead across pavement. And that did not disturb me like this animal testing disturbs me, the pictures that I see. So I noticed several phenomenons tonight. I noticed that all the callers that only gave the last initial or no last name, they were all shills for the company. So that was quite disgusting behavior. And these were supposed to be scientists and they gave false information about science, talking about their perspective of animal testing and the COVID situation. So as one caller pointed out, it was the opposite of that. So I've just been beside myself trying to figure out how the council could have gone along with this and how this made it to the agenda. It's just so perplexing. You know, so many people concerned about their legacy and their next step at the state to let this drag them down. So there is part of me that is quite disgusted with the decisions of this council. And so I would like to see this attached to their legacy forever. I think between this and the destruction of view quarters in Alameda, I think we have, um, I think we have a real zinger where um, that legacy can follow these individuals and perhaps it can stop them at the state level. Um, again, this was very disturbing and I just couldn't figure out how they'd be into this. And the next thing I know, Joe Ernst pops out of the woodwork. So I do applaud Joe though, for at least giving his last name. And there were a few other speakers in favor of this that did give their last name. Um, but again, I do empathize with the animals and the people that gave proper testimony, the scientists that gave real science and talked about the cruelty and how humans should be tested, not animals. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Susan Chavez. Welcome, Speaker Chavez. Uh, yeah, good night. Thank you for having me here. Um, it is atrocious. I'm, a, I'm very upset right now to find out that somebody is talking about business, business about making profit out of animals, animals that had no right for, uh, they don't they don't own nothing to you, not to the scientific people there. Like we're just talking about this business being in Alameda. And most of these people are talking about supporting this because they have some kind of interest about the profit that it's gonna cause, it's gonna bring to them. 
And in the 20th century, there was this guy experimenting on women, trying to make life better for finding a right solution to, to help them with some issues. But this person was experimenting on black women. And I don't think that we should keep doing that with animals. Like he was compared to a Nazi so we should learn from these um, incidents that be happening. Uh, the animals have no voice, nobody is protecting it. And with the organization, direct action everywhere, and we were protesting every single week in Golden Gate Fields, supporting the animals trapped in there. And if this um, business, quote unquote business happening in Alameda, I promise you that we're gonna be there protesting every single week, probably every single day because we are going to be standing with the animals because it's not a scientific thing to abuse animals that cannot protect themselves. And as a mother, I would not never allow these businesses around my kids, especially if I want to teach my kids um, a better compassionate life. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Paul Darwin Picklesummer. Welcome. I think we had this speaker before. Now you come through. Hi. Yeah, that's great. Sorry about the earlier problem. No worries. Um, so, yes, I, I share in uh, the people who are just simply shocked and appalled that this is even being discussed in this meeting. I want to commend the city council for Alameda being a city that thus far does not lease to animal experimentation. Primates and bunnies, nonetheless, rabbits are the after dogs and cats. They're our most common companion animal, and that's including our residents in Alameda. Primates are our closest genetic cousins. And while that allows them the ability to do a lot of things that we do, which is experience terror, suffering, pain, mental anguish, it doesn't grant them any advantage in terms of actually producing usable science. As we see, the vast majority of products that are tested on these primates do not come to market for humans ever whatsoever. So if we know that, then as a council, it would be extremely irresponsible to grant this lease, knowing that as it's stated in the lease that a, F, a USDA violation of animal treatment would invalidate the lease, that should be all you need to know and because that is going to happen. People, we, like I, I'm an investigator of animal cruelty, including on testing, testing labs. I'll make it my personal mission to be sure that we have access to that evidence and at which point you'll be left with a lease that you invested time and resources into that'll be worthless and you'll have to start this process all over. So do the right thing right now and simply grant the lease to a responsible business, life sciences if you choose, that doesn't test on animals. As we've heard, everybody speaking in favor of this is basically paid to do this. And um, clearly the people of Alameda don't support animal experimentation like this. And installing chips into monkeys' heads Good Lord, someone mentioned that animals are socialized. That's simply because they want the experimenters to be able to do that to them. So I'm appalled and do the right thing, please. Vote Thank no. you, our next speaker. Um, we'll go to the last one in person, Max. Do we, is there another speaker? Oh, we have someone? two more remote. Do you want me to call those? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um, our speaker from a phone call, uh, it's a phone number ending in 990. Hello, phone caller with the last three digits, 990. Hi, 
Um, Here you are. My name is Yifan. Um, I'm one of the founders of Science, and I run the Neural Devices Group. Um, I grew up in Canada, and I moved to the Bay Area about 12 years ago, um, did my PhD at Stanford. Before I worked at Science, I was actually the CTO at another um, startup company in the Bay Area, um, and we made brain implants. Um, that company moved to Austin, and I moved back to the Bay. Um, it was a, it's been an interesting experience working in science. Um, at my previous company, we didn't have animals on site, and that was uh, really tough to actually do medical, uh, medical development and research with. Um, when you have to go to a third-party contract research organization um, to do experiments, what that means is that you, you have a much higher chance of doing poor experiments you effectively need to do more experiments to get the same amount of data. Um, and these, these are experiments. They are not guaranteed to work. We're learning things every time to help people. Um, another thing that happens when you have to use a third-party um, research organization is that things take longer. And every day it takes longer to develop a device is a day longer that people, many people suffer. Um, and one of the great things about working in science is that um, we do have animals, we do do the work. Um, we're a very collaborative environment, so we have engineers, uh, we have scientists, we have surgeons. Um, we sit 20 feet away from each other, we'll talk to each other, we're able to make sure that every bit of our effort um, matters. Um, yeah, and it's a great community. Um, it's a real intellectual community, um, everyone's awesome. Um, it's something that I'm super happy that we're able to set up in Alameda. Um, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, uh, Warner Bonner. Welcome, Speaker Bonner. Hi, can you guys hear me? We can. Awesome. Well, I wasn't sure I could actually uh, call in, so try to do the best I can here. Uh, we worked, uh, my name again is Warner Bonner, and with Innovation Properties Group, we helped expand the FDA testing facility on Harvard Drive few years ago and also did Natel Energy in the uh, 70,000 square foot hangar on Monarch. Uh, I've worked my entire career working with cities and municipalities on research park initiatives. And every research park we did from New York to Hawaii had probably anywhere from 10 to 20% of uh, that research park being an animal-based live animal research center and facility. Uh, we developed the first incubator in the uh, state of California, the San Diego Science Center down um, obviously in San Diego, and that 20% of that was an ALAC accredited bivariant facility. It's plenty has been said about animals, uh, the importance of the testing and, and against it, but animals are biologically very similar to humans. In fact, might share about 98% of the DNA with us. That's why it's important. Um, the business point on this, I think is worth noting is the economic impact. It is a business decision. Uh, science is on track to be a 500 person company. They're already at 112 as Kylie mentioned before. If you look at, at Biocom's California Life Science Economic Impact Report in 2022, these multipliers 2.6 to 4X of downstream jobs. That means science's 500 jobs could equate to 1,300 to 2,000 jobs in the in Alameda County alone. That's an intelligent business decision. And if you wanna grow the life sciences, on Alameda Point and be a player in the largest biotech market in the country, in the world of the greater Bay Area, you have to have animal studies at some level. Uh, it is intelligent that city council is considering this so carefully and really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, it's also a caller ending in 932. 
Welcome, caller 932. Star 6 to unmute. Good evening. Uh, my name is John Bowders. I'm calling from the city of Emeryville, and I'm asking that the city council, in its careful consideration this evening, um, consider not approving this contract with this particular contractor. Um, I'll just say a few things that haven't been said. Um, as a person living with a lifelong hearing impairment, um, yes, there is a need for medical advances, scientific research and studies to improve those of us who do live with um, auditory or visual handicaps and disabilities. Um, however, there is an excessive amount of animal testing that is done, um, not just in this sphere of medical research, but across the bio life sciences research sector, um, an incredible amount of animal testing, and it is unnecessary. Yes, the federal government does have outdated requirements for some types of medical um, and pharmaceutical product development requirements that require them to do dual levels of testing that further involve animal harm and waste. Um, and there should be a concerted effort to engage the federal government to change some of those regulations. Um, I know that there are members in the life sciences community here in California who are supporting that effort. Um, that being said, this is just inconsistent with Bay Area values. And even if this specific testing was to be done offsite or in another location, it just really isn't compatible with the values of the Bay Area. Um, this is a community that is really engaged in a more holistic view of our environment and society. And I would just sincerely ask that the members of the city council um, put this back out to bid at some point in the future um, and find a different use or a different partner to work with in, this, in the development of this life science opportunity for the city of Alameda. I appreciate you listening to my comment. Have a good evening. Thank you. Our next speaker. That's our last remote speaker. So the last speaker in person is Max. Right. Oh, wait, another speaker just raised their, raised their hand. Um, ending in 075. All right, speaker 075. Star six to unmute. Hi. Hi. Thank you. My name is Kathy King, and I'm a resident of Alameda County, and I'm calling to oppose this effort to expand exp animal experimentation. Thank you, Mayor John, for your strong words. I absolutely agree that this is against the values of the community. I came up here to go to UC Berkeley, and since then I've been involved in a lot of advocacy efforts for animals, the environment, and other issues. And I can speak to those communities that I've been involved in that this is not something we want to see, and if this facility is there, we will be protesting them regularly. I have two rescued bunnies who live in my family, they're right here with me and they're opposing this along with me. They do not want to be tested on just for being animals who are docile and who don't have tear ducts. So they can't flush chemicals out of their eyes. And that's what happens in this industry. It exploits the most vulnerable. And I don't support that. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Okay, that was the last remote speaker. So then the last in-person speaker is Max. All right. Um, so that was the last. So we have closed the remote speakers now. Can we do that? It, yeah. If you, if you, if council wants to give Max additional time, you would have to vote as yeah. well. I think it's up to the council how you want to do it. If you want to do it three minutes or two minutes, like the speaker, or I think with Pika, the Pika lease, we did give the lessee a chance to have a little more time. But it's up to the council how you'd like to proceed. 
I'm fine giving more time, uh, but I would like to cap it. I think it, it you know, we've, we've capped all of our public speakers. Um, I don't know how many questions. And what did we do with Pike, if you could remind us? Senior? I thought it was five minutes, if it was what, if I had to guess, but I can't say for sure, but that's that what I would guess. reasonable, right? Okay. Is there a reason why he didn't go earlier? Because that's my recollections. We usually have staff, then we have the uh, lead of the company that's presenting. Um, but I'm curious in regards to why he's waiting until last. Because and I'm, I don't support not allowing any speakers to speak after him, because they should have the right to respond to his public comments. I actually do not support him going last. And, and I'm shocked you didn't already speak. I would ask our council member Vela uh, to I'll weigh take, in. I'll take the blame for that. I, I, I wanted to hear from, from members of the public, and so I think that that was raised earlier as, I think there's gonna be a lot of questions, so. And I think there's questions from the public, so I think we need to keep the public comment open so that they can respond if they haven't already spoken. Sorry. He should have had the courage to stand up here early on. Okay, so. Okay. Go ahead, Madam Mayor. I, I think that there's a, a compromise here, and I'm fine keeping public comment open if, if we have additional public comments from those who haven't spoken yet. Um, but I do think that it would be helpful to give additional time so that we can ask questions. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I there may have been some misunderstanding, but he was prepared to go first, and then we're trying to anyway. Let's have him speak now. We are so going I'll to second allow the motion. Oh, okay, we have a motion to um, give Mr. Hodak five minutes. Um, it's been moved by Councilmember Bell, seconded by Councilmember uh, And Harris. keep public comment open, though. Yes, okay. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna be as courteous as the audience, and I do wanna commend all of you. This is a difficult topic, an emotional topic. You win my prize for the most respectful audience I've seen in a long time, so thank you for hanging in there. We're not done yet. After we finish our public comments, I'm going to give us a 15-minute break because um, I, I follow the recommendations of physicians at UCSF that say you shouldn't sit for longer than two hours in a meeting, and we've gone over that a little bit. But let's, um, let's hear from, oh, let's wait, let's do our vote. Okay, all those in favor of the, uh, the five minutes for Mr. Hodak and opening public comment for any speakers who haven't and, spoken. And Madam Mayor, just to, sorry, just to clarify that during the five minutes, just like with PICA, if there are clarifying questions from the, this council, we can ask them uh, and, and, and get the we answer. We can ask them when the mayor who's running the meeting calls on you, we will not interrupt the speaker. That's what we will do the way we always do things courteously. Let's take that vote. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any I'm sorry, I'd like clarification. The clarification is that uh, we are not allowed to ask questions during the, what I had heard in the motion was to allow council members to ask questions during the presentation as we did before. Uh, I just want to make sure that that is now being denied us. Let me clarify once more. We are not going to interrupt someone in mid-sentence. We are going to let him, in fact, I think what would be great is if we ask those clarifying questions, really re-ask them. And I think you, Councilmember Harris Spencer, answered, asked some questions that I suggested would be better answered um, by Mr. Hodak rather than um, you know, through the city manager. So we'll, I will call for those questions first, and he has five minutes, but I also wanna make sure that he has his time to do his remarks. I think we can do that. Okay, did we have a vote? No, we didn't have a vote. Okay, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Opposed. 
And that was a four to one, right? The motion passes. All right. Come on up. Um, and Mr. Hodek, I'm going to um, give you the prerogative. You've got some questions from council, but I think you also have remarks that you've wanted to make. Do you want to start with your remarks? Do you want to start with questions? What's your prerogative? Yeah, I would appreciate it if I had three minutes and then get away. we can get to questions. So the, the first thing I'd like to say is Neuralink and Science are two very different companies, and I would respectfully suggest that perhaps some of the controversy involving the other company is really about some other issues. Um, You've heard a lot about us over the last few days from other people. I'd like for you to have a chance to hear directly from us about who we are and what we do. My mom's dad was an aerospace engineer. He worked on, among other things, the space shuttle, space shuttle heat shield. For most of the time I knew him, he was blind due to retinitis pigmentosa. I grew up getting eye exams to find out if I would come down with it. For middle school, I had a clear sense of what was possible if we could develop technologies that would allow us to read and write information directly to the brain. I started my career as an undergrad working in a lab at Duke University, where my main project was trying to understand the neural representations of motor planning on a project funded by the government to try to improve care for returning veterans who had lost limbs or the ability to walk. At Science, we're working on multiple programs, and our, our furthest along is the retinal prosthesis, the Science Eye. And with that, we're committed to improving outcomes for patients suffering from serious blindness. The core technologies we're developing to do this, if they get to the clinic, will be among the most complex pieces of biotechnology ever to reach patients. Many people may not be aware of how much science has advanced in the last decade. Amazing things are possible if we want them. We are motivated by this invitation, and I'm honored to have the chance to work with over 100 of many of the smartest people I've ever met, all united in their determination to ship things that actually matter for patients their families, and the world. Vertical integration is essential to making this work matter. These are hard problems that require deep understanding that stretches from semiconductor materials to immune signaling in the brain. It is possible to bring these technologies to patients and change lives, but it requires animal research that is tightly coupled to the rest of their process. In some cases, it might be possible to separate some species from the rest of the company, and we want to be sensitive to the concerns of the community. And if there are some restrictions that would make this possible, we're open to discussing those. Um, but at the end of the day, if this is moved to somewhere else, the same research will get done. It is not allowed by the FDA, it is required by the FDA. There's no path for any drug or any device in the US to patients without going through animal testing. And it'll be done, so it'll get done slowly and at greater cost and possibly in worse conditions. We care deeply about animal welfare and subscribe to practices far in excess of what is legally required and intend to keep investing and improving on the care we can offer animals. When we think about, so first of all, I wanna be clear, we have no primates right now. We do expect to have them in the future, but we always try to work with the lowest model that we can. And when we think about a, something like a primate, the way we think about that is partnering with things like zoo enclosure designers to build big, large play spaces that allow naturalistic behavior, nothing like the labs that you've seen before. If this work is ethical, we should have the courage to stand up for it. And if it isn't, we shouldn't just do it somewhere else. I believe in the moral imperative of the work we are doing and believe we should do it with the people who care the most, not with third parties who care the least. We all get the benefits of modern medicine. To those who say that there are other things available with other devices or other techniques, I would ask them, where is it? If there was another thing we could do, if there was an easier path, like, this is such a big prize of medicine, where is it? 
we of course are fully on board with phasing out animal research. Nobody wants to do animal research. This is, you always try to do this in the smallest number, but again, the FDA has not allowed this. They require it. There's no path to the clinic in the US without going through animals per federal regulators. I love to discuss FDA reform. I do think there are better ways forward, um, but that is not our call to make right now. Um, all of this, there's a direct tension between animal research and our extraordinary caution towards human subjects. Every society has to make choices about these trade-offs, and we're subject to the regulation that results from that invisible hand. This is not specific to us, but a question for all biomedical research and development. Um, this lease is not meant to be a temporary space for us. Due to the complexity of our infrastructure, it is, um, yeah. If you want to leave time for Q&A, if I understood, was this, sure. was, it, uh, was this the three minute clock? This is the full five minutes. This is the full five. Yeah, and okay. just so you know, I looked it up very quickly. You guys gave Pike a 15 minutes. We gave Pike a 15 minutes. And, okay. and I mean, sometimes you ask questions without timing the okay. So we'll let him finish. I'm almost done here. Okay, we'll let him finish the, the clock out and then, yeah, go ahead with your remarks and then we'll come back. This lease is not meant to be a temporary space for us. Due to the complexity of our infrastructure, it's tough to move the company every few years when we run out of space. Um, we've spent several years looking for the right place to put down roots and, and build an important company. I can tell you there's no runner up telling you point. We're co convinced that what's going to happen there is going to be incredible and we would love to be along for that adventure with, with the community. Thank you for consideration. Thank you. Okay, so Madam Clerk, um, tell us again, we gave Pika 15 minutes. Okay, so um, in order to be fair, should we um, permit well, the questions to be answered and but do we need another motion? I mean, if, if you want to, typically when staff is responding to council questions, we don't time that we portion time. either. So That's it's true. totally okay. your guys' call, however you'd wish okay, to understood. proceed with okay. it. But all right, council questions. Are you, you, you finished, Done. did you? All right, council questions. And Madam Mayor, may I make one okay. more statement? There are members of the public who have now raised their hand, but you had closed public comment. So. Well, it, with the motion, we opened it to anyone who hasn't spoken before. Oh, you did? We did. Oh. Okay, okay so we have three public commenters remotely now. Okay, and as long as they haven't spoken before. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's open it to council questions. Councilmember Vella, was that your hand? No. Oh, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you uh, presenting. So uh, your company is currently in Alameda, correct? Okay, so how long have you been here? Almost two years. Or yeah, All right. Two years. And you said you don't have uh, primates currently. Do you have rabbits? We do. Do you have rodents? We do. So when I went to tour your facility yesterday, specifically asking staff in regards to I wanted to see the vivarium or how the animals are housed, where were the animals? I was not able to see them. There's medical screening required to go into the vivarium. I'm sure we could, if you wanted to pursue that, we could arrange it. Possibly a tour. Is there? Uh, were you able to show that your animals to any staff members? I don't think that any staff members have seen seen animals. I, if, if I may, every building around our building in Marina Village has animals. One of our neighbors, I believe, has thousands of rodents. There are animals throughout um, Alameda in in biotech labs because it is inseparable from biotech. There are fewer large animals, um, but there are rodents. And, and also, if we have large animals at the site, that those are public records, so it'd be very easy for the city to follow our animal use. Every USDA inspection includes a number of animals, and those are public records. Um, rodents, rodents are not, and so they can—they're more common than one might expect. Thank you. So, what happens to the animals when they die? Well, I mean, if you're at the end, 
often we have to look at the tissue and we have to understand how the drug works. We have to look carefully at the molecular biology to understand in great detail exactly what worked and how it happened and, and what to improve. And that requires looking at high, very high resolution Im imaging of the tissue. And again, this is not, these are things told to us by regulators. And then what happens to their bodies? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't I mean, what when animals are euthanized, the, the animals, the animals are. I'm sorry, after they've yeah. so the, been the euthanized, process, so the you've taken the tissue that you want, what happens to what's left? It's turned into, into data in large part. This is, this is, so this is called histology. the physical body, what Correct. happens Thank to you. the physical body of the animal after it's. Right, so for example, if you're interested in exactly how does the gene therapy reach different tissues, then you have, you have to, uh, look at that tissue afterwards. And so you, you look at a neuromicroscope and you try to understand what happened in, in that animal. My question is how is the tissue disposed of? What happens to it? Um, it is sliced into thin sections and imaged for not the entire body, but for the key parts. And perhaps you're asking when you no longer need that specimen, what no. happens to it? It's, it's biohazard waste. It's a dedicated waste stream. Which means where does it go? To has it's picked up. Um, I believe there's a vendor that comes and picks up biohazard waste. Okay, is it like trash? It, it, it gets does, picked up. Is it like trash that gets like, picked up? What happens to it? No, it's a, I believe it's a private vendor. So you don't know what happens to the remains. I'd be happy to get more information and. Um, if we have there. another member of science who can answer that question, would you come answer the council member's question, please? When you get to the microphone, when you get to the microphone, so we can all hear you and people who aren't in the room can hear, please. Thank you. Hi, good evening. Um, we work with Veolia and we follow all of their processes to What's then. That? Veolia what? is a waste management company for bio and chemical waste. And so they come weekly and they pick up the waste and they ensure that we are following all of the practices um, according to the state of California um, in partnership, of course, with our environmental health and safety program to ensure that all of the waste is disposed of properly and in the correct waste streams. And so we actually have to have a very specific program for the bio and chemical waste, um, which also you're welcome to see. And we register that with Veolia, who is also a part of Biocom, who supports us in this process as well. And every single week, they come in and they take that waste for us, and they make sure that we're following all of our EHNS practices to dispose of the waste properly. Thank you. So I had also asked for pictures, illustrations, anything that would be something that describes what your vivarians look like, since I wasn't able to see them, or the experiments that you do on animals, or anything about that. The videos that I were sent, it's interesting, they were actually from the Neuralink uh, uh, vi uh, videos, uh, uh, Mr. Hodak, that you sent to me, even though you're trying to distance yourself from that company at this point. So, but I'd never received anything. Do any of you have today any pictures that you could share with the, the public? My concern is, of course, public building. The public should get to know what's going on. I've asked, did anyone bring any visuals of what your experiments are? Uh, well, we don't have pictures of the new building. We we can provide pictures of the of a current space. Um, I mean, I. We could have a public tour when it's done. I, I think that we intend to be transparent. We intend to do this at the highest possible standard. I think the question is, is there any way? Well, okay, I appreciate that, but I'd ask staff, I'd ask you in advance. So I'm making a decision tonight. So once we make the decision, I think that's a little late. But I just want to confirm, staff, do you have any pictures? No, we don't. Uh, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Bell, I think you have a question or two. 
Yeah, there's a, a mention of, of Biocom, um, and my understanding is that Biocom California um, is uh, perhaps taking a, a stand. I just had a question of whether or not you are uh, joining in the call for the federal government to modernize standards for life sciences testing. Oh, definitely. So you're going to be a signatory to that? I haven't seen the specific letter. Well, tell us more about what you mean when you said yes, definitely. I mean, look, I, I think we do wait too long to go to, to a first in human studies. I think there are there is too much like too many upfront animals. I think we would learn more if we went to human subjects earlier, in some cases, in the right settings. Um, this, again, is not, not up to us today. I think we'd love to be part of a reform process that, that led us to a world that was more like that. Councilmember Bell, can you share for those who might not be as familiar with what this, this um, process movement is? Yeah, my understanding is that there's a number of uh, folks who have been working on and, and that there will be forthcoming a, uh, a, a public call to the federal government to modernize standards for life sciences testing to reduce um, and eliminate federally mandated animal testing requirements. And so I was curious if this company is going to be a signatory or is already a signatory uh, to the forthcoming publication. Any, anyone who knows about that? Remember, we need to have you come up to the microphone because that's the only way. This is being recorded, so, so we have a record, and some people are watching remotely, not in this room. So in, in the microphone, if you know about We this. are a member of Biocom, and we work with them specifically around men, with many of our vendors, and they support us in making sure that we have necessary current information. We have not yet had a chance to read or see that to sign it, but that is something that we'll make sure that we reach out to them. I know you're voting today, um, but we haven't signed it yet. But it is something we've been in communication with them, especially this week, to make sure that we have everything that we can do to support them, and similarly, that they can continue to support us in our work. And, and for my edification, what is Biocom? So Biocom is an organization that really supports the continuance of life sciences across um, definitely the state of California. Uh, specifically, we work with them to create sort of a network and partnership with, like I said, vendors that can support us with following protocols like Veolia, as well as other vendors that help connect us to others in the life sciences community um, and beyond just vendors, right? We build a network. So Biocom has lots of different platforms that we can participate in. Some are around public policy practices, um, getting engaged and involved throughout the state of California. Some rely more on building connections. There's also an opportunity to um, inform others within that community about the work that we're doing. They help across the board. They help with recruiting. They help with, um, you know, vendors discounts, with um, networking, with trainings. There's a lot of opportunities that come with Biocom, but they really sort of okay. uplift life science but companies. The, and back to you, Councilman Revelle, do you have a date on that call? Do, do you? seem to have some information. My, my understanding is that there's a number of signatories already to a letter that is going to become public, and my question was whether or not you were involved in that effort currently ahead of this vote, or if you are, uh, not, not whether or not you would be joining it eventually. We are not more. currently part of that. Thank you. And if you have anything to share with us, Councilmember Bella, we'd love to get it in the record. Do you have a link, maybe? I, I do not. My understanding is that it's coming. It's coming out in, in future days. Oh, okay, okay. So it's not yet there yet. Okay, but did I understand a commitment that that 
um, science will indeed be signing on. You seem to be somewhat aware of. Uh, well, no, so we're not familiar with this letter specifically, um, but the concept, I, our, I guess. The conceptually are very aligned with reform on the like how we develop this research and the role of animals in that process. Okay, thank you. Other questions, Vice Mayor Desog. Uh Thank you. Um, you know, this is a public asset, so the city council has to you know, make sure to carefully read uh, the lease and understand the terms of the lease. I did find various parts of it very confusing. Um, can you explain, you know, in plain, simple English, the part about tenant affiliates? It seems to be some kind of category of a sublease, sub but the thing that kind of confused me was the part where the tenant affiliate can suddenly be the controller of the um, of the tenant, which is Science Corps. And so I just have to understand why is it there seems to be something very screwy here. I, I, so, um, and who is best to answer that? Is that a term that um, I, I'm familiar a little bit with the background. I don't, Kylie, would you be more familiar with it? Uh, this? The city was very concerned with subleasing. I think there were recent examples in other locations where a company had a subtenant that then was problematic in some way. And so as part of this lease, there, were, there was a bunch of flexibility about subleasing that was removed. And so the affiliates was added back as a carve out so that if we had a subsidiary or like a wholly owned subsidiary or something, it wouldn't count as a, su a sublease in the way that would otherwise require notification now. Um, because I think there was another city lease that did not require that uh, approval and there was an issue. Mm -hmm. Can staff speak to that at all, City Manager Ott? Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling up the exact lease and the exact language, but yeah. it is often, at least in development transactions or real estate transactions, that you typically want to prohibit assignment because you don't want the user that you're entering into a contract with to just turn around and, and now science turns it over and assigns that lease to Joe Schmo down the street. So you, you want control. But typically, and this is true with the other developers that we've had transaction with, is that they may want to transfer it to another entity that they're a part of. Um, there might be tax reasons to do that. There may be other business reasons. And so you do usually have a carve out for some sort of affiliate entity to be able to, to assign the lease or assign the transaction to them. So that's conceptual. I don't have the exact lease or section, but it is very common that you have some carve outs on assignment to allow the tenant to change the corporate structure but still be kind of a majority owner or of some sort. And that, that is typical in other transactions that we have. But I, I defer to, I don't know if Abby or even have the, the actual language in front of them. City, City Attorney Shen, yeah. Um, Madam Mayor, we do, um, uh, the base reuse director did share with me the actual language, which is quite long. It's uh, almost a page on uh, page 25, section 13.5 of the lease. It is a carve out that essentially, in short, allows tenant affiliates uh, to assume, you know, essentially assume the lease without, you know, with, with minimal or no consent from the city. That's what it appears. Um, and I think to echo the city manager's point, I think it was drafted to allow, um, for example, an entity that controls uh, the current entity to be able to assume the lease. Um, of course, the council has wide discretion in you know, uh, uh, you know, making its leasing determinations. And if it feels that this grants too much control, the council could ask us to strike the provision. Um, I'll just ask you. Um, yeah, no, other questions? Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Go ahead. Uh, another question is, so, um, and this is probably uh, for staff or for um, uh, 
science core. Um, now, my understanding is the sublease provision um, basically um, uh, the city, the landlord, um, has limited um, uh, uh, say on who you sublease insofar as whosoever you, you sublease to is not in default or you're not in default or that they are um, a permitted use. So my question is, when we say permitted use, are we really just talking about a use that's consistent with zoning of the area? Is that the, nat the meaning of permitted use? Well, Thank I you. think we need to ask staff the meaning. Mm. Well, In this context, least, what is, what? So, so council member, I think to answer your earlier question about assignments, the city's control in assignments can be briefly characterized as anything, I think 40% or more, the city has the right to recapture. Um, anything under 40%, the city would have to exercise its reasonable uh, business decision to either accept or reject. Um, and, and, you know, reasonable is a commonly used but a broad definition. Um, and so it, it is case specific. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No. 40% you know, of what? Forty percent of the space. Okay. Mm -hmm. That the city has a right to recapture from a subtenant. Uh, so, if Science Corporation chooses to sublease forty percent or more of its space, um, the city has essentially a right of first refusal to say no. Mm -hmm. You do not get to do that. We will, you know, take it back and do what we would do with it. Um, anything under forty percent is a reasonableness standard. Um, we do not have a f right of first refusal for anything under forty percent. Understood, um, Vice Mayor Davis. I think Councilmember Vella wants to ask oh, a related question, just, unless you're still in the stream. Yeah, just, just, but just just yeah. doing the math, though, forty percent of a hundred ten thousand square foot space is roughly what forty five thousand square feet. Whatever, whatever the math is. So if you're currently at twenty two thousand square feet in Marina Village and then say you want to double to, or go to 50,000 square feet. So you, the balance could still conceivably be um, leased out to subtenants without our say or our control, at least control in a very limited way. Um, so, yeah, I'll just state it as, as that, so. Okay. Thank you, and then Councilmember Yeah, just as a follow-up to our city attorney, uh, under that provision, what would the timeline be, and, and relative uh, relative to that language, and it, what would it actually take for the city to take it back? Because I, I understand that the provision is there, but can you walk us through what the logistics might look like? Oh, uh, council member, if you mean practically, what would it look like? Um, I might need some help from my staff colleagues, but. Generally, I think the Science, Science Corporation would probably inform the city that it intends to sublease, let's say, 50% of its space. Uh, the city would, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, inform Science Corporation and it wishes to exercise its essentially right of first refusal uh, and then take the appropriate actions. My, my colleagues may have more but to say about Let's hear it practice. from uh, Ms. Thornliner. The attorney yeah. na nailed it. Uh, it, it, it is notification is required prior to the sub prior to any sublease and the city cannot unreasonably withhold um, approval, but that notification would have to come. So if this, as, as the city attorney said, if the notification came that greater than 40% of the building was to be sublet, the city could say, no, we're taking it back. 
what's the timeline for that one? Is that spelled out at all? My, here, I'll express what my concern yeah. is. One, what constitutes notice and how much time do we, would we actually have to do that? And two, would we, would we have to then, like the city would take it back, the city would take it back and then be allowed to put it out uh, to, to lease? Or the city would take it back and are we gonna end up in some sort of legal conflict that may not get resolved for a certain period of time? Yeah, I, d I don't recall if there is a number of days of notice in the assignment language. Uh, city manager is well, I was gonna say that is that if, if I, I was gonna say and we'll try to pull it up right now But if there is the notification and they're in violation or at least usually you have a cure um, You have a default you have to notice the default and then you have a cure We can try to pull that up and then usually you'll have a number of days that they have to cure um, I have a brilliant know. idea. We have been at this without a break almost three hours. I am going to call a break now, and that will give staff a chance to look up a better, more specific answer to the question you raised, and we will come right back to you when we come back. It is 9.50, We will start again at 10.05, everybody. Okay, get up, stretch your legs, make your eyes look at something beside the screen, well, at least those of us up here.
counting noses. I think we, we got everybody back. No one, no one in the council decided not to come back. All right. <laughs> Madam Clerk, we are ready to go, right? Okay. Um, if I recall correctly, who had the floor? I think you did, um, Councilmember Vela. Yeah, I, and I, my question was essentially alluding to a question around the timeline that was there and whether or not there was uh, an opportunity to change some of the, the, date, the days listed. I just thought that there were potentially some issues relative to our ability uh, as, a, as a governing board um, to, to review under the notification provisions. And, and what did we learn? So we're, we're going to tag team this, but uh, the city attorney and I, but um, I think you're referring to section 13.2 and 13.3. Yes. Okay, and give us a page number if you can. Let's see. Okay, I got um, Page 24. 24, yeah. Mm -hmm. 13.3. And I think there was some concern about the, the time frame that the city would have to respond um, to a notice of what sublease. What section again? 13.2 Thir and 13.3. Got it. The recapture. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a, under 13.3, there's a 30 days, and under the landlord capture, there's another time frame. And I think the um, council member Vela's concern was if yes. if this notice occurred prior to the council recess, or just making sure that staff had sufficient time to process the review and then bring it to the council and put it on our agenda and do our due diligence and be able to bring that to you. And so I think the question was whether or not we could extend that to 90 days or possibly a little more. Um, and my understanding from Science Corp is they're willing to work with us on those time frames. And, and you know, it, it's, I think their intent is not to, you know, so I think they're willing to work with us on that and extend those time frames if that's, if that's important to the council. And I think staff is absolutely fine with that and I think provides us with more flexibility to, and make sure we can do our due diligence and bring it back to you. Thank you. Go ahead. Yes. Madam Mayor, if I could, my, you, my next. You had the floor. Yes, it's thank yours. You. Yes. My next question is, um, there were several options provided within this uh, presentation from staff, which included uh, a provision that would pot potentially uh, limit having a vivarium at all, or potentially um, have an option to say absolutely no animal testing as part of that lease. Is that something that has been put forward and what yeah. is the position on that? My understanding and the Max Hodak can come, and, but that if the if the decision is the council does not want a vivarium on its property at Alameda Point, I think the, um, do you want to speak to it? Yeah, I mean, we obviously understand these sensitivities. Um, we, it, it isn't feasible, it wouldn't be feasible for us to have the building with no animals at all. It's just inseparable from, for any device or drug. Um, we, we could agree not to have any primates in the building. We could separate that um, and have that somewhere else. If that would make the difference to the council. And again, we don't have any primates today, but if we had them, we could agree to not have them at Alameda Point. Okay, thank you. Um, any further council member harassment? Oh, you know what? Hold on for just a minute. Council member Daysog, I feel like I handed the questioning. Um, no, I'm um, fine. Thank you're you. okay? All right. So back to you, council member Harris Spencer. All right. So uh, at this point, this company has been talking about uh, research in regards to eye improvements, blindness, and whatnot. But are there really any limitations on uh, what research could be done uh, in regards to at this lab? 
is is that a question for Mr. Hodak? I think it might be more or staff. In What's in the lease? In the lease. Who would like to take that? Don't all speak at once. But someone speak, please. Welcome back. Sorry, pardon the yeah. delay there. Um, so the, that, I believe, would be guided by the permitted use section, which um, is on page four, which is pretty broad at this moment. It says research and development, clean manufacturing and production, administration, assembly, machining, warehousing, and office use, and related ancillary uses. So it's extremely broad at the moment. And in regards to uh, experiments on animals? It, it, it's just that wide-ranging definition that that, that is on page four of the lease. Okay, so um, on April 4th, 2021, Max Hodak, um, and you could answer this, there's a tweet, we could probably build Jurassic Park if we wanted to, wouldn't it be genetically authentic dinosaurs, but maybe 15 years of breeding plus engineering to get super exotic novel species, and then continues biodiversity, anti-fragility is, is definitely valuable. Conservation is important, makes sense, but why do we stop there? Why don't we more intentionally try to generate novel diversity? Uh, you can come back to the microphone. I, I mean, that tweet was not a serious proposal. I mean, I think what, what kid hasn't dreamed about Jurassic Park? It's an it's a exciting concept. And I mean, if we want to talk about, when we talk about human relevant methods for research, like one of the reasons that people use primates is because they're very similar to us. Things that work there work in humans. Things that work in mice don't work in humans. Um, things that work in mice don't necessarily work in dogs. And, and so if you want to think about what those technologies could be in the future, um, it's, I mean, this is not an answer about Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is not a real thing. Jurassic Park is a, is a fictional story. But I think there are opportunities to use the tools of biotechnology to develop, um, to start, to say, start from the animal model-based research that we're doing and engineer simpler systems until you're left with just the core under test, not a conscious being. Um, and I think this is like figuring out how to remove animals from this and make this all more humane and more kind and um, like this is at the heart of what we do. Kind of an indirect question to a question about Jurassic Park, but I don't know how else to answer that. Thank you. I'll follow up on something you just said um, about that tools in nature can help us figure out how not to use animals can you elaborate on what that would look yeah. like? Yeah, so for example, one of the tools that was cited in the FDA Modernization Act was organoids, where you can grow up kind of parts of organs um, without a whole animal. We use organoids, we use organoids daily. Um, this is an example of a type of technology that is it's really driven from genetic engineering, but could allow us to replace more of these tests over time. The, today it's early stage, but it's getting better every, every year. Okay, um, okay. So thank you. Okay, um, other questions for Mr. Hodak? Did you have one, Councilmember Jensen? Yeah, it's, it's, go right ahead. Thanks. Um, I was. Um, thank you for for sharing and for for um, allowing me to take a tour of your of your building um, yesterday. It was very interesting, and I did read the recent scientific paper regarding your research on rabbits. And from the paper, I learned that there is, quote, proof of concept that an implanted optogenic retinal display can work. 
unquote, with, quote, no clinically relevant inflammation. Is that correct? Is that, I'm sure there's, well, there was much more to the paper, but, um, so congratulations. It sounds as though this is the first successful phase. Can you advise in general terms with regard to this phase how the, of the treatment of animals for this research? You or someone on your staff yeah, is fine. I, I, sure. Do you want to talk about the rabbits from the paper? And I, I actually did read the paper, and I, I, I did follow what, how the implant worked and how the, um, how the, the retina was, the operation was done on the eye, so. So what is the question? The question was, can you advise in general terms of the treatment of animals used in this research? Yes, yeah, so um, the key part of the research is to make the eye and the cells in the eye sensitive to light that we provide from outside the eye. To do that, we'll inject a, um, a small bit of uh, virus into the eye, which will infect the cells. Um, that's a very uh, non-invasive procedure that's done in uh, human clinics daily to treat various uh, ocular um, diseases such as glycoma, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we experience very, very little side effects to that. I think the most extreme is a very acute inflammation of the con conjunctiva, which is on top of the eye, and that subsides after a day or two um, with no treatment required. Um, so no animals are sacrificed or killed for this procedure, for this not, not to do the procedure, so we'll inject um, our gene of interest, and then we'll monitor the eye on a daily basis after this, after this injection, and then uh, weeks and months later to look at how our um, compound that we're injecting has um, been able to act, activate the cells um, in the back of the eye. Uh, so we basically monitor the ocular health um, at various frequencies. And um, from a research standpoint, this is a, a published paper. Well, it has been published. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it's in a. Uh, it's, in it's being peer reviewed. It's, it, yes. And so, at this point, you would be getting questions, or if there was any if any issues were identified with the humane treatment of animals, that would be coming up with regard to um, this publication. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got feedback from reviewers for the paper, um, and their main concern is just um, providing, you know. Um, more, more data showing the efficacy of this compound um, and how it works in the eye. And um, so uh, I appreciate that. And so I wanted to then go from there to, um, as you know, the concerns raised by advocacy groups are related to experiments on brain implants. And so I would be interested to know Science Corp's current schedule to use an experiment on brains of, of primates, on brains basically, because we just learned about the eye, the retinal experiments, which seem to be pretty non-invasive. So there's uh, two different answers. The first is for the, for the science eye, we're currently in discussions with FDA about whether they'll accept only rabbit data to, for a Fierston human study or if they'll require some primate studies, because this is a gene therapy, there are interactions with the immune system, the immune systems are different, you want something that's closer phylogenetically to humans for some of these studies, or at least these reviewers do. And so I, I think there's a chance, like, I think there's a high chance we'll be required to at least do a couple of primates just for the eye, just for the gene therapy even. Um, again, we can do that somewhere other than Alameda Point. 
And so that the, doesn't include a brain that would be similar to what we just, correct. what I just now, said. Now, let me give a more full answer, which is we are working on a project that involved brain implants. And again, we don't have to do this at Alameda Point. We can do this, some, we can put that in permeate somewhere else. Um, and that is very foundational. I mean, we are, at least the textbooks are being written today. Like there's very foundational work that needs to be done over the next couple years. Um, and it's every, every monkey is, every primate is a very high value animal. Um, this is not a high throughput model. You work with individual animals for years um, and retire them to sanctuary whenever possible. It's a really different type of interaction than, than something like a rabbit or much less a, a rodent. So at this moment, you don't have a plan or a, or a um, schedule to do operations, do brain implants on primates, or it, it, but it is possible depending on the feedback from the FDA. This is what I'm hearing. I want to see if I'm correct. It is possible depending on your feedback from the FDA that you will use a primate for the retinal research. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And then my last question for you is, um, how many times has Science Corp been fined or disciplined by federal oversight agencies for compliance issues related to animal experimentation? Never. Great, thank you. Now, um, I have a couple of questions for um, staff. City which, which staff, oh, for Chris, um, Thorne Lyman, or? Excuse me? Which, which staff did you want? Uh, for, uh, uh, Ms. Thorne Lyman. Thank you, yes. Yes, okay. I just, we have several But she may here. not be able to answer it. So okay, then well, if she whoever can answer, can answer. Can I, great, thanks. Okay, go for it. <laughs> um, Councilmember Daysock cited the subletting provision in the proposed lease, and I'm interested to know if that provision is unique to this lease, the Science Corp roof. There are some, there are some edits that the negotiation, through the negotiations were made. Um, first, the, the first, I think, most notable one was, um, I believe the standard lease, um, says that um, if greater than 20% of the space is sub subleased, that the city has the permission to, um, to, or has the ability to take that back. We increased it to 40, that was through the negotiations because of the scale and the configuration of the warehouse, it would never really have made sense to lease a lot less. So that had to do with the physical, unique physical aspects of building 11. Are there leases um, for, Alame for Alameda sites, Alameda buildings that that specifically prohibit the subletting, the buildings of this size that specifically prohibit subletting? I'll need to turn to someone who's yeah, in your No, I would just, no. I mean, because it's, it's really important to have some flexibility for tenants, especially for large buildings like these, um, to be able to have some flexibility. And um, my next question you may or may not be able to answer, is it okay if I ask the city attorney? You thanks. can ask any staff who's here. Great, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, could Alameda adopt an ordinance to prohibit any animal experimentation on private property? The council may be able to do so through its zoning powers. It would be a zoning ordinance? Yes. Great. And um, do we have currently have any uh, that you're aware of? Uh, you might have to look it up. Do we have any regulations for pet breeders in Alameda? Uh, n not that I'm aware of, Andrew? but Andrew might know. Oh. <laughs> Pet, pet, pet breeders? breeders, you know, with regard to humane treatment or not. Um, um, we have some regulations related to um, the keeping of chickens, cows, and horses. Okay. Looked it up today. <laughs> <laughs> but not pets, not pets or primates, huh? No, 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 no. And as you've heard tonight, we have, we have an, a, a large number of variants of various scales in our business parks today. Um, um, Mr. Thomas, what would you 
would you say that that we have more than a hundred? Um, more no, I don't think more than a more than fifty. I mean, I'm just uh, large I, numbers. I don't know the exact number. I just over the last two weeks, I keep hearing about more and more companies in Alameda that have that have animals um, as part of their research. We have a we have a, a strong life sciences community of businesses in our uh, Bay Farm Island business park, right. Marina Village business park. Um, so we recently approved. Um, uh, well, we didn't approve it. We cut the ribbon for um, a new business at the business park, which is about 17 clean rooms. And um, as I understand it, a clean room could could be used for an animal type of experiment. Our current zoning doesn't pro doesn't prohibit that. Thank you. Those are my questions. Okay, it's all for you, um, Vice Mayor Davis. Is there anything else for you? I have no questions. Okay, so any other clarifying questions before we go to the remaining public speakers? I'm not seeing any, so, okay, yep. Uh, so we only have remote ones. Uh, the first one is Katya Gayadevea. Let's see. Welcome. Hi, can you hear me? We can. Okay, great, thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Katia Gaidaiva, and I am an Alameda County resident. Since moving to the Bay Area about three years ago, I've made some amazing and brave friends that have liberated dogs and rabbits from research facilities. These animals are thinking, feeling, sentient individuals that deserve love, kindness, and respect. They do not deserve to be tormented and experimented on. I've attended numerous vigils and protests at Golden Gate Fields in Berkeley, and I'm very pleased that the public pressure was successful in getting, in getting Golden Gate Fields to shut down. It is incredibly disheartening to hear that a new stain on the progressive East Bay may appear to take its place. This will be a horrible blight on Alameda and will leave a legacy of shame on all those involved if this is to become a reality. It's also worth noting that everyone speaking in favor of this facility has something financial to gain, and everyone speaking against, including myself, has nothing to gain. And we're here because we care and because we have a heart, and we hope you do too. I urge you all to vote against this. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Antonia Moore. Welcome, Speaker Moore. Hi, um, my name's Antonia Moore. I live across the bay in San Mateo, and um, I want to urge you not to welcome Science Corps to Alameda. I believe that um, this would be a terrible mistake. Uh, Science Corps' research methods are not in line with the ethics and values of this entire region of the Bay Area. Uh, the founder of the company has a pretty terrible record of animal suffering, preventable and catastrophic injuries and illnesses um, during the course of studies at Neuralink. And uh, the Bay Area is a progressive area. People are, um, they're, they're turning against animal exper experimentation. They're particularly upset by the idea of experimenting on non-human primates. And I just want to point out that uh, the, NI, the National Institutes of Health no longer funds um, research that uses chimpanzees, even though they are actually the 
the non-human primate that we share the most genetic uh, information with, They're the closest to us. But people have become so uncomfortable with uh, their gut feeling about experimenting on these animals that chimpanzees are no longer used in research. So the tide is turning. I hope that Alameda will be stay strong and, um, and welcome in science uh, companies that are embracing non-human, uh, non, sorry, non-animal models in their research, which are actually um, going to produce much more valuable um, results for human health. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Priya Sahini. Welcome, Speaker Sahini. Hi, my name is Priya Sahani, and I am a resident of Alameda County, and I actually live at home with a dog, a beagle, who was rescued from an animal experimentation facility. And if his rescuers um, had not taken him from this facility, he would have had, he would have been subjected to horrific treatment, horrific um, experiments, such as having laundry detergent shoved down his throat. And um, I heard the you know, people talking about some of the experiments being non-invasive and then continuing to talk about how these animals would uh, be subjected to um, injecting, um, having in things injected in their eyes that they did not consent to. Also, what we did not hear uh, is that these animals will be confined and will be taken away from um, having a life worth living. Being a subject for human experimentation is not a life worth living. You can ask me because I live with a dog who has been traumatized and he hadn't even gone to experimentation yet. He was simply raised in a facility about to be used um, as an object. Uh, and I, I talk to people, students at UC Berkeley, and do outreach constantly sharing his story. And I can tell you that most people living in our county and frankly, the entire world are against animal experimentation. So you have a choice today to be on the right side of history and, and say, no, this is not welcome here. We have to do something better. We have to create a world where animals are seen as people, not property. And allowing this is continuing to um, uh, treat animals as property. And we know deep down in our hearts that that is not the case. So please make the right decision today and stand up for the values that we all know are the right values. Please do it for my dog, Birdie, who was going to be experimented on and didn't deserve to have that happen to him. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Joe Allman. Welcome, Speaker Allman. Hello. It looks like Speaker Allman is not able to unmute, um, so probably doesn't have the most current version of Zoom. Oh, there we go. Apologies for that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make two quick points about this, and thank you very much for your time. Um, the first point is just the ineffectiveness of using animals uh, and their relevance to human biology. So the issue here is that raising these animals that are they have completely different bodies and there's new approach methodologies available and especially in, in terms of toxicity testing and whether um, implants are even uh, able to be you know replicated in humans it turns out that the data just doesn't sufficiently you know actually show the outcomes that are going to be happening when we use these devices or use drugs in humans and so 
all of the money, all of the resources being put in, into expanding, let's say, a facility where this experimentation happens is frankly just a waste of money. And as a resident um, locally, it's just very disheartening to see that this is something that could possibly be considered. And the second is just the, the issue of, you know, using these animals in the first place. And, um, you know, if we just look at some of these experiments in the past, I know they said that, you know, for example, the ocular experimentation is that um, it's non-invasive. Um, and that they, <laughs> they said that they're going to put these uh, monkeys in a sanctuary as many as they can. And I'd like to ask just how many monkeys end up in the sanctuaries when, if you look at, for example, a, a Wired article that's, um, and I'll just pull it up here, that's showing what happened to, in Neuralink, it's, it's showing that countless monkeys were just ended up discarded. And uh, these people, they don't treat these monkeys like they're, or these animals at all, frankly, whether they're monkeys or not, like they're, they're beings and they don't even know where they go after they die. Thank it's, you it's, for your comments. Our next speaker. Uh, Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi there. So I just continue to be surprised at the methods that are used during the public uh, comment period by the board. It's obvious that your bias is toward approving this lease, no matter what opposition anybody says, just by the questions that you ask. Uh, an example is exactly just what Councilmember Jensen just put through was trying to let the company talk about all the positive things. It's obviously false. I just looked up the the company's um, business licenses in Alameda. Not one of them has an animal research license. So if there are any in Alameda, let's see who they are. Okay. So it, aside from the moral aspect and the humanity aspect. Just as important is it's ludicrous to put this use in the entertainment corridor where you're trying to attract tourism, where you're supposed to have access to the Tidelands Trust and the viewscapes that you're supposed to protect, except that you keep putting fences up, which is also illegal. But the city does not care if they follow the law. So this company also has no track record. So I don't know what kind of backdoor deals that you did but I urge the public to pay attention to what you do today and ask who is being served by your votes. I encourage the city to please start following the law. I beg you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, we have a caller ending in 471. Okay. Welcome, Speaker 471. Hello. This is Carol Godstein. I had some technical difficulties with the Zoom connection, oh. so I thought I'd call in. Hello. Hello, you're, we can hear you loud and clear. Hi. Okay, great. Um, well, I was, I do want to register my opposition to leasing to this particular life science tenant um, for most of the animal usage um, features that have been mentioned beforehand. Um, but I, I'm also curious because this project will need viral vectors. It's an optogenetic gene therapy process. And I haven't heard any discussion of what type of animal viruses will be used to introduce the optogenetic genes into the eye cells. And that could be a, an important consideration to the public health of the community. I wonder if somebody could ask uh, the Science Corp folks that question. Thanks. 
Thank you. Our next speaker, Joe Laparo. Welcome, Speaker Laparo. <laughs> I have to look up. He's right here. Good evening. I wasn't here to really speak on this, but um, somebody mentioned that everybody that is spoken for it has had a financial gain. Well, I'm here to say that I don't have a financial gain, but I had a son that passed away uh, five, six years ago. And it wasn't easy to watch. <coughs> Sorry. Take he, all the uh, time you need. He went through chemo and stuff, and now I see many friends, CAR T cell therapy, was on the cutting edge at the time. Um, it wasn't quite approved yet, but I see many friends now going through it and are having great success with cancer on CAR T cell. And you don't, you can't get there without testing, unfortunately, on animals. I have two dogs, I have three cats. I love my animals. But I realize that for humanity's sake and the interest of science and learning how we can improve, including never using animals again, still requires us to continue where we're going. Um, also, you know, as a veteran, I've seen many, many veterans that have benefited from animal research, you know, leg replacement, neurotherapies. So I really encourage you to go ahead and approve this lease. And until we can find some better way to do it, there isn't a better way at this time. Anyway, that's all I have for this. Thank you. Next speaker. That was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we close public comment. All right, thank you. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm gonna say a few words. I haven't spoken much. Um, and I wanna thank everyone who spoke, and again, Everyone who spoke in the room, who everyone who spoke remotely, um, you really were just the model audience. So respectful, um, so just you know willing to listen to everybody. We don't have to agree. We're not all always going to agree, but especially these days, it means an awful lot to me as an elected leader to see a group that can get together and just hear um, some some varied perspectives, all of them value, valued, all of them relevant. So I want to acknowledge, as I have before, that this is a difficult emotional topic. Joe Laparo, you were the perfect um, last speaker because you do bring it home and it is personal. And when I've been doing a lot of reading, I've been on a lot of Zooms on all, all um, sides of this issue. On Friday, I was on a Zoom with Ryan Merkley, who you heard from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, I have spoken to an esteemed professor at an esteemed educational institution, but I'm not gonna name either of them, and they weren't willing to speak tonight because of threats that their colleagues have had from, I don't think from anyone who spoke tonight, because like I said, we had an extremely civil group, but they had that fear, and that sort of atmosphere concerns me, but I, and I appreciate all the questions that my colleagues have raised. We've heard people say, what are your values in Alameda? Well, I think that our values are that we do believe in science. We're not science deniers. I had the pleasure, it was a challenge, but the pleasure of being the mayor 
of the city during the height of the COVID pandemic when we didn't know, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know and, and things were changing um, by the day. And I mentioned that we were having a little conversation in the ladies room, some of us, and the reason I call breaks every two hours, but I didn't get there tonight, is that I would do these town halls Fridays at noon with the mayor because everybody was working from home. We do these remote town halls. and. One of um, one day, I had two psychiatrists from UCSF, and they did make the point that you can should never do a Zoom meeting for more than two hours. But I also had um, scientists and biologists and and um, folks who were doing these amazing therapies, and that all got together in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area, I just finished reading the biography of Jennifer Doudna, you know, 2020 um, uh, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry whose company, one of her companies, is here in Alameda. And she led a group of scientists from Berkeley, from across the Bay Area, and said, and oftentimes scientists are very protective and a bit secretive about their research, but she said, we don't have time for this nonsense. We have to share what we, sh what we know. We have to open source it. We have to all help each other across the world. And you know, it had a huge impact. And what I was so proud of in Alameda is my community got behind the vaccine. We had, of the 14 cities in Alameda County, we had among the lowest death rates, among the lowest um, uh, disease rates, and we did it because we messaged, people didn't deny science, we didn't have, rarely did we have comments at city council meetings from COVID um, deniers from anti-vax folks, and the community stayed safe. And please be getting your vaccines now if you read my last newspaper article. So we, we value science and we value rational thought. We need to hear across the spectrum the different concerns. And I think that some folks who were very opposed to any animal testing have helped inform my position that we should make sure that all safeguards are in place. I'm very um, intrigued by the biocom um, uh, effort that Councilmember Vela raised. I would want to see a commitment to, to Science Corps to, um, to follow that. If there's something the city can do to sign on to legislation, I would want us to do that. But we we also value education. We value our students and our schools. We want our students to excel in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And it is true that, and, and I do believe it in my heart, and I'm also an animal lover, that we aren't at the place yet, but I want us to be as soon as possible where we don't have to do any animal testing. But if we can cure and address diseases like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, Parkinson's, and more. And I would imagine that everyone in this room has either been affected or knows and cares about someone who's been, effect, been affected by or maybe died from uh, a life-challenging disease. Just this summer, I have lost two friends, two women friends to cancers. And another one is in hospice as we speak. So. I think in Alameda there is room to do this. I think we do it carefully. I think that we put whatever safeguards we want um, to put in place. But I, I feel that there is a place for this science and that if we can be a part, and I will say that my mother, um, who did li live to the amazing age of 98 and a half and was mentally very sharp, 
but she had macular degeneration, dry macular degeneration, she would have benefited from this. And it was, I can remember taking my mother in the car, we would drive her down Christmas tree lane, and we'd narrate. So at this house, they've got the light sparkling, and oh, and she'd ooh and on. I mean, she was, my mother always saw the glasses half full. But anyway, um, I want to hear from my colleagues. I think we can do something thoughtful and smart. Um, the Bay Area is a bioscience hub. We have the University of California, Berkeley. We have UCSF. We have places like Emeryville, hello Emeryville, that has um, many bioscience companies that um, are probably doing animal experimentation, but it's a matter of how and how it's regulated and how it's observed and supervised. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I welcome hearing from my colleagues. Councilmember Bell, I saw your hand go to the microphone, then I'll go to you, Councilmember Spencer. So I, I have a little, I have different feelings on this, I think, um, than you, Madam Mayor. I'm, I, I, I'm one, I, I think that when it's city property and what happens on private property, we don't, we, yes, we can maybe do some things on zoning and some things like that, and, you know, uh, I think that's not agendized tonight, but certainly could be something that, that gets discussed uh, in the future. But when we when we have city property, I think there are values decisions that we have to make. And I, I you know, just because these are the responses that we got for, for, this, for this property at that time doesn't mean that, that, that we have to move forward. Um, I'm particularly concerned when, you know, we're, we're hearing, oh, well, the only thing that we won't do is primates or, you know, it's not going to be possible for us. We want to be able to do all these other things. I think from a business model, I can understand that's their business model. Um, as a, a member, a voting member of this body, doesn't make me want to support them being a tenant of ours when we have that decision. Um, I do support the sciences. Uh, I work for a, a tech company. Um, I, I have family members who have, uh, who are visually impaired. Uh, I have family members who um, are, are undergoing uh, experimental treatments for uh, rare forms of cancer, um, my father included. But I, I, I also want to kind of point to who has called in tonight. The, the mayor of Emeryville did call in, uh, John Bowders. And in fact, their agenda tonight included banning pesticides that harm bees, birds, banning uh, rodenticides that poison the food web, um, starting a wildflower program in the city that will fund uh, and promote biodiversity. I think when we when we consider kind of what's happening here regionally, you know, I, I do think that we have an opportunity to to push to make the industry better, and I do think that we should support and sign on to the, the Biocom letter in terms of lobbying uh, efforts and working with our lobbyists to change uh, the requirements because in many other places throughout the world, there is far less testing on sentient beings. We should not be, we should not be the exception to that and we really should push forward on that. So at this time, I'm not comfortable moving forward with this lease. Um, as it stands, um, the, the, the state of things being as they are. Um, I, I think we certainly can have further conversations and should have further conversations about what we're looking for out at Alameda Point, um, how we work with business communities and things like that. But I also, right now, I'm not supportive and, and this isn't in line with where my values are at. 
so there would be nothing then that um, that science corps could do that would um, make you consider a lease for them. I asked some base level questions uh, about just hypothetically what I would consider to be the bare minimum, but frankly, I'm still not comfortable with because it's kind of saying, no, we won't do this here, but we could do it somewhere else. And, and I just, I would like to see, I understand what their business is and what their business model, but I do think that there are some of their competitors who are being very active in terms of trying to change what the regulatory standards are. And I don't want to be a part of having that out there where we have animals that are getting tested on in one of our buildings, so it, which they weren't amenable to. They said it wouldn't work in their business model. So that concerns me. And I think part of the other conversation that we were having is once we have a tenant in place and once we're there, the reality is it's very difficult to walk things back and to control things. And so if there are violations of you know, different things that we put in place, I, I really think that we are limited in many aspects. We have had tenants that have been violating lease terms and things like that, and it's been a, a very costly process, and we haven't really been able to, to walk things back once they've gotten out of hand, and that's my other concern, is that we can get platitudes and we can get things, but we've also heard, frankly, that their intention is not to, to do that, at least, because in their current business model, they're saying the only thing that we wouldn't be doing here is testing on primates, which isn't, I just can't be supportive of that, and that's so. That's my concern is when I'm hearing these kind of conflicting things, and then understanding what our limitations would be in terms of regulating or controlling. It, it makes me very concerned. But if, if there was no animal testing on the premises, would you see that differently? I I still I, I the, it still for me is problematic because I'm still hearing that they would want to do animal testing even not here, but it, it's a moot point because they're saying that they, they, their business model is that they would have to do animal testing on the site. That was a, a specific question that we asked. Um, you know, we're gonna have to take a quick housebreaking, a housekeeping break, right, Madam Clerk? So it's almost 11 o'clock. We have to um, vote. We've got two more, um, what do we have, Madam Clerk? We uh, have um, the 7C, which is the Park Street Wine Cellars lease, uh, 7D, which is the Project Burger lease, and 10A, which is a referral uh, placed right. on the agenda by the mayor. And then the those consent, um, items. consent calendar items. That oh, yes, and yeah. the two pulled consent calendar items, now, which are 7, oh, let me look um, another, uh, 5E and F, right. the FAS item and the um, uh, Port Chicago 50. Um, and so we... Some of that we could move. Uh, well, Madam Clerk, you should tell me because um, we do have that. We don't use it very often, but we have that item six, which is things that get, uh, you know, that, that we can start the, at the top of the agenda. I don't know what the next agenda looks like, how heavy it is, but um, be, because what we have to do is we're going to take a vote to, you know, how how many of these um, items that require a vote we will um, hear after 11 and then how late we're gonna go to a time certain. Uh, so yeah, and you can you can move any of those items to section six. If I mean, you can move the continued consent items or seven um, okay. C or D to that section. So um, I would entertain a motion, but I, well, I would just wanna say that um, 
I, um, those two leases, we even talked about maybe hearing them before this item because they're fairly um, straightforward. So maybe we could hear them tonight um, and maybe bump the others to the item six. But what, what's everybody think? Because we've got to vote on this as a body. Well, Trish, I, my Council question was how many Spencer, votes so. are required to do this? Four. Thank you. What, what do people what, what do people like to do? And and um, uh, city manager, is it is there anything that we absolutely should hear tonight? <coughs> Those um, leases are they? I, I mean, I think the two the two leases would I think. I mean, it would be nice to move those forward. I think the two consent items. Um, I don't, I don't think there's any rush. I guess one was the FAS, what was the, I'm just trying to. Port, Port Chicago, Chicago 50. Port Chicago, um, yeah, neither, none of, neither of those are time, yeah. time sensitive. I mean, the leases would be nice. There are kind of business decisions that are being made for those people in right. terms of, so it might be and, good just for those business owners to have health, some certainty. Yeah. Uh, Councilman Rivella. I'll make a motion to continue the meeting to 1215. I'd like to end in the same day that okay. I started. So to 12, I'll, I'll make a motion to end the meeting at 12 um, uh, to include item 7C, 7D, um, and the two consent items if we can cover them. My ask would be that um, that we keep we keep it limit, limited to that. There, and there is keep, a council referral, but. I'm just looking at the right. time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that we, we do the FOSS uh, and then we do the, the Port Chicago. So we keep things in order essentially. Okay, and if we have time before midnight, we'll do the council referral too? If we're going to midnight? Sure. Yeah, okay, because those are all item, items. Okay, we, um, okay, going to midnight, hearing the item before us, and then in the order I think that the uh, Councilmember Bella listed. Um, does everyone have that? So okay. So I, I'd like to make a friendly amendment that we only do the two leases tonight and that we end after that. I think that's really the only work that must be done. That's what the city manager said. And honestly, I think going to use, I think that's plenty. But I, I still would want to have a time certain that we end. So Well, my time certain would be sooner than the 12, 12, 12 15, 12. Um, I honestly think 1130 is good. I don't think those leases are going to take that long. You never know. I think the midnight was fine. But Mayor, my only thought yeah. is that we do we do have a big agenda for the seventh, okay. right? And so okay. you, I mean, it, it's That's fine if you want to push those. They're not time sensitive, but you are just kind of rolling over okay. to create an agenda, potentially a longer agenda for the next meeting. But um, Councilmember Herrera Spencer, my preference would be to to give us the ability to potentially cover those items tonight. If we if we don't cover them, then that's where they're going to fall. So I but those two leases, through. is that what you said? The two leases followed by the two consent items in the order that we have them. Um, and, then, and then the other item, and that's only if we can get to them in the next hour, essentially. Okay, that's a motion. Do I have a second? Wait, is to which one is it? I only want with the leases. I don't want anything more than that. They, um, Councilman Ravel didn't accept the friendly amendment, so her, her motion stands. Okay, and let's not just take to, too much to clarify. Time. It's yeah. moot if we don't get to the items by right. midnight by because midnight. we are yeah. ending at midnight regardless. So, 
and turn it into pumpkins. It gives us the opportunity okay. to not have to redo this vote, but still right. get to the items. And out of respect for what the sure, city manager fine, said, that we've got a crowded s uh, uh, on next agenda. Okay, so we have a, a motion by Councilmember Bell. It's been seconded by Vice Mayor Dayside. May we have a roll call? Oh, no, not a roll call. <laughs> Boys vote, please. Aye. Uh, all those in favor aye. signals by saying aye. 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 Okay, I think that's four to one. No. Okay, it passes. All right. All right. Um, where were we? Um, you were, were you still speaking? I'm done. Okay, and so back to you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Um, all right, so uh, there's the comments in regards to why we need this, but uh, I want to get back to this case with Neuralink and uh, the, um, it was PCRM, which is uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. They brought a case and they were able to get over 600 pages of veterinary uh, records and records in regards to Neuralink and that's how they were able to get so much information because they were working with UC Davis at the time, a public institution. So I wanna ask our city attorney, um, when this company does this work on the base by themselves without working with a public institution, uh, are their veterinary records public information? Council member, anything they submit to the city would be public information. But but if they're not submitted to the city, I can't speak to whether or not they would be public information. It would probably be up to the company. Are, they would not. There's a, there's a there's a question. Yes or no? Are they public information? Probably not. The answer is no. Okay, I can say it. The answer is no, which is why everyone that wants to think this is the way to do business, I strongly disagree. I am a cancer survivor myself. If you want to have access to their records, it has to be with a public institution, which was UC Davis in this case. That is the only reason we have all those documents. The reason why I can ask for pictures to go see the vivarium, uh, all these things, me as a council member, and the answer was no. I asked the question, has any of my staff, our staff, our city staff, seen the animals? The answer was no. There is no duty for them to share their work with us, nor is there any duty, of course, to share their work with the public. It came down to UC Davis being involved. So please don't think that this is the highest and most ethical way of doing business because it's not, because there's not the oversight of a public institution that then allows the public to do public information requests and get these documents. So all those pictures that everyone has seen, and I encourage you to Google uh, Neuralink Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and you will see the difference. So this, there is, there's a reason why we want public information, why we want access to your work. Because sadly, when we did get exposed, when you all got, not all of you, but when this company Neuralink, of which the, it is the same man here that wants to be doing work on our public property, Max Hodak, the issue is his relationship with Neuralink, as well as from my perspective, his tweets, and then it causes doubt rightfully in our minds. But the only reason we have those records is because of the public information request, which was because of the relationship with UC Davis, which would not be happening here. So that is an issue for me. I also wanna ask about this uh, viral vector. Someone had asked, you know, does their company use that? Do, does staff know? I don't know. 
Right. So um, I appreciate that answer. I uh, could I could respond if you read the paper that was sent out. They do use that and is cited in the research paper uh, that was provided to all city council members. So I appreciate that, Member Jensen. However, I really wasn't asking you. I was asking staff because okay, staff so, is. Um, wait, wait. Let me continue no, because staff are, is the one that's brought be, this referral. We are going to be civil when we when we address each other. But Councilmember, I didn't ask her. I, so please let me continue. I will let you no, continue. No, my question when I'm was done. to staff. Councilmember Jensen, just remember, if you're going to speak, do it through the chair. Um, I misunderstood. I thought I, the councilmember said, "Does anyone know?" And I, I happen to know. And I, I, I understand what you thought, but 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 still, um, rather than um, speaking out, just it's, yes, it's I, through I the understand. chair, and then I'd say yay or nay. Back to you, Councilmember Herrera Spencer. So uh, I also have a problem in regards to this. Uh, item coming the way it came because the heading I think should have clearly said including animal research in the title. The, if you go through the whole report, there's one sentence at most and I, that's not anything against the company. That is honestly the way I, th I think it's critical that when our staff brings ish, uh, the agenda, it is very transparent. Obviously, I've been on council, this is like my sixth year of uh, being on city council, and this is one of the most contentious issues I've been asked to deal with, uh, that we have received so many emails, and why? Because it is this uh, animal uh, experiment issue. So I think when staff bring something like this, it's critical that it be right up front so we know, the whole world knows, and if you're not willing to do that, then we have a problem, then you shouldn't be on the base. Uh, but so, um, uh, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna continue to listen to the, my colleagues before I use up all my time, thank you. Who'd like to speak next? Sure, well thank you. Um, thank you very much to the residents who took the time to attend uh, tonight's meeting as well as those who uh, came on um, uh, via Zoom. Um, so I really appreciate all the input for those um, opposed as well as for, for, from those who are in support of this. Um, you know, this is a really important issue and you know, uh, I have to admit, when I was looking at the lease, because that's where I really wanted to pay attention, my attention to, um, you know, I found the lease very, very confusing. But fortunately, you know, we've got staff, we've got a city attorney, you know, who is there to, to answer our questions. Um, uh, you know, if we have, you know, they can zoom in on specific issues. Um, but even, um, even though, I, but, but even with the, the absolutely um, fantastic assistance from um, our uh, city staff, the city manager's office and the uh, city attorney's office, um, you know, when I kind of step outside of the details of the lease and, and, and take a look at it, against the backdrop of, you know, what I think most people would understand to have been um, a controversial issue, I still look at this lease as being oddly, um, you know, um, favorable to the tenant in light of, you know, the, the, the controversy that, that, that we're being asked to, um, to engage in. Um, but, you know, um, we can get lost in the details of the lease or we can, you know, um, opine about, um, you know, the larger um, um, context of the lease. Um, 
But I think for me, at the end of the day, when it, what it really comes down to is, you know, what uh, do we as city council members value for our public space? And I do believe that we are a city um, that values for our public space um, no kill of, of animals and also no vivisection. Um, that's clearly, uh, for example, in our lease with the animal uh, shelter, those two elements. It's just not a no-kill shelter or, or minimize it as much as possible. But within the, it's also, you know, no research um, for, no animal research um, and uh, no vivisection. Again, this is for our public facilities. You know, um, what uh, private entities um, uh, choose to do in, in, in on privately owned land um, working within um, the municipal code, you know, that, that, that's, that's their purview and we certainly um, encourage them to, um, uh, to, uh, to, to thrive. Um, but when it comes to our public facilities, you know, there's a balance that, that we as council members have to strike and it's a balance between various points, whether it's economic development broadly or whether it's specifically, you know, what kinds of uses that are going to occur within our own public facilities, or you know, what are the values that um, seem to be threading um, through, um, you know, contracts or policies or guidelines um, that we have um, for our own public facilities. So for that reason, um, you know, I won't be supporting this um, uh, tonight. Um, maybe see if your colleague has something to say before you speak again. Councilmember Jensen. I appreciate Member Daysock's comments, but I just wanted to follow up in regards to his questions in regards to is this standard language, is it, does it deviate when staff brings the public and us a contract that deviates from what is the standard practice? That needs to be highlighted so that we all know that that has happened and whether or not you all have made that deal. Thanks. Councilman Jensen, anything from you? Sure, thank you. Um, I'll just start by saying that I eat meat and I consume dairy products, but I consciously choose products derived from animals that are treated humanely because I rely on state and local regulatory agencies to be sure that animals produced for the food I eat are not mistreated. Hopefully that's not being, be, hopefully I, I'm, I'm being good in that assumption, but I, have not decided to become a vegan because I don't believe that animals are not being mistreated. As I shared earlier, I have a disability which has not held me back thanks to experiments using animals. My ability to navigate daily tasks is, is very good. As a child, I was vaccinated with drugs that were developed using animals and many containing animal proteins. All of the therapies that I've consumed to prevent and treat medical conditions were regulated as is most of all of the food that I consume. And um, what I was trying to get to with my question to Science Corp, as are the Science Corp regulations by federal, state, and local health agencies. Having um, worked for about eight years at the federal level at the Department of Health and Human Services, I have some experience with regulations. And I actually wrote several regulations that appear in the Federal Register, regulations related to the Medicare program. But these are, organizations and agencies that do establish oversight, they do establish conditions to participate and to be approved. And I 
have asked these questions and I've done the research and I am confident that Science Corp is meeting the, the guidelines and the requirements of the overseeing organizations. My perspective, as I mentioned, it's also informed by a degree, my degree in public health and more than 20 years of working to develop health and social programs for vulnerable older adults. So I appreciate the more than 300 emails from supporters of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and most of these emails cited a single news story about a completely different company. Um, having said that, so I think it's fair to point out that the Physicians, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine has also been the subject of negative press. And um, people may not be aware, but the, in response to PCRM's use of scare tactics under, in the guise of advocacy, the American Medical Association, which I do appreciate and um, support, formally charged the Physicians Commission on Responsible Medicine with using fake news to manipulate public opinion against the use of animals in biomedical research. Fake news in Alameda, that's kind of unfortunate. Of course, it's not surprising to know that the AMA has concerns about Physicians for Responsible Medicine, especially the campaign against Science Corp, given that the AMA position is that, quote, animal experimentation benefits veterinary medicine as well as human medicine. It does benefit all of us. It has benefited me. We've heard from many people who it's benefited, and probably most of the people who are opposed to this have benefited from those experiments with animals as well. Um, I appreciate the large number of emails from people around the country, as well as here in Alameda, people with valid opinions about animal research. But targeting Alameda because of the actions of a different organization is not, is not appropriate. The city of Alameda is not a biotech regulatory agency, and it seems that many of those opposed to animal experimentation are using Alameda to achieve their goals. I don't condone cruel treatment of animals, and if there's any evidence, I did the research and I read the articles, and if there's any evidence that this organization that's seeking to lease the building owned by the city was inhumanely treating lab animals, I would not be in support. What I do support is encouraging economic development. I do support medical research to cure disease. I also support ethical, humane treatment of all animals, whether they be used for food, for clothing, for sporting events, or to develop treatments for medical conditions. I would ask that the lease agreement include conditions expressly addressing humane care, but since this lease is not going to be approved tonight, I will leave that for the next time. Good luck to Science Corp. Thank you. So I have a question of staff, but it's probably for Max Hodak as well and the council. Um, if and I take it, well, I'm not sure, but I take it that possibly you're not objecting to life science work that's being done on private property that may involve animal experimentation. Um, what if there was a way that Science Corps could continue leasing space on private property and perhaps do research there, but then whatever they did on Alameda Point property and public property didn't involve any animal experiment. I don't know if that works or not works for you, but come on up if you've got an answer, Mr. Hodak. Um, I don't know that it's something we, we could do tonight, and I think if the council wants to vote tonight. Um, I, I look, we, we are really excited about Alameda Point. I think if this work happens here or somewhere else, it's, it's very important, and it will happen. Um, if there's a concession that that would make this that would convince the city. I mean, we're 
we'd love to discuss it. I'm sure there's conditions that can be added or transparency or reporting, um, but. Well, I don't and it know. Doesn't, sorry, yeah, and it also ahead. doesn't need to just be primates. We could draw the line s somewhere else. Um, again, there are rodents widespread in Alameda, and they're inseparable from, from biotech research. But um, large animals are, I mean, there could be a, a richer conversation about how we think about different species. What I think I'm hearing from my colleagues is an objection to any to testing any animal of animals research. at Alameda Point. And so it's a kind of a bifurcation of the operation, but I know it has impacts for you too. But I don't know that that would necessarily convince any other council members, but I was trying to listen carefully to I, what you said. Can I just ask anybody, because I'll, I'll save my breath if, um, Councilmember Bella, microphone. I, I mean, I, he's made it clear that that's part of what they need as, in terms of their model and their plan for their company. So I, I don't know that it's worth discussing something that. Well, I'm asking a what if question. I, I think it's a moot point. Count, uh, Vice Mayor Desalek. You know, I think it just have to be, yeah, it, I mean, I, the, van, the, the, the frame that I'm putting here is I, I just think when it comes to our public facilities where you have a commitment to no kill um, and, and, and frankly no vivisection um, of animals. Um, so it's, I, I think it, it's really hard to suddenly trim those sails, um, so. I, um, if you wanna, if, I mean, and maybe it's, maybe it's just a bridge too far, but if you have any thoughts, this would be the time to share them. Councilmember Harrison, so you've got your hand up, so why don't you go next? Thank you, Mayor. Um, I would like to make a motion to reject this tenant as a tenant for Alameda and to move forward with the new RFP for Building 11. I'll second that. Um, we have a motion. We have a second. Um, uh, any further discussion? It sounds like the council has made their decision. I don't know that further information. We have a motion. It's been seconded. We haven't made a decision. But it, I, I put out as much as I could about what might be a possible alternative. If that's not tenable, I'll, um, I'll back off. I just, the city council should know that this is a decision about biotech at Alameda Point. Um, there won't be some other, this is inseparable. There won't be biotech at Alameda Point. Maybe there'll be more aerospace, maybe there'll be more mar maritime, but but this decision will exclude biotech. So that's all I would, all I would add. Uh, city manager? I mean, the only thing I'd just add is that if it would just be helpful for, because if you do an RFP, that's very broad. Um, and I've just heard different things. Is it about public property, private property be okay? So if we sold it, would it be that we want to put in the RFP that there's absolutely no life science? So I just think you're, you're we're, so we just, some direction, because this is a major asset that we would need, we would like to move forward with. And it sounds, I don't have other suggestions on how to do this, but I, if. 
it would yeah. be good to understand what how broad this kind of decision is because I do agree that it will have an impact on our economic development at the base. Um, I saw Councilmember Bella's hand up, then um, followed by um, Vice Mayor Daysock. So I, I think what would be helpful is if we could actually agendize a time as a council to go to Alameda Point, take stock in what our properties are, and come up with an actual plan that is more wholesale of what, what are we actually looking to do, um, which is something that I think I've requested in the past. And so my suggestion would be that we do that before we actually go out to another RFP so that we can come up with a, a plan and give more clear, clearer direction to staff and how to proceed. I'm happy to amend my motion to just at this time reject this tenant uh, for building 11. I don't and know. Then, and then add the uh, part that um, Councilmember uh, Vela just added in regards to uh, do something with uh, council and go out to the point. So I would add that. that. I don't know that we need to. I think we could just take the direction to staff to continue looking. I want to deny this tenant. Where does um, well, let me point of um, uh, clarification. Point of clarification yeah. is not the absence of four votes a denial in and of itself for for moving ahead, or do we have to affirmative, which is a stranger was putting it, do we have to affirmatively deny? I mean, if there's no four votes, that's okay. Is that a question for me, Council? Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, yeah. Council member, without four votes, the, the lease does not stand. If you wanted to give clear direction, you could always do that. Uh, the oh, council has wide latitude. Okay, I see. Council member Jensen? Is there a motion on the floor? Yes. Um, there's a motion, and I'll is that what, okay. But then I also heard some direction from Council member Vela, so. Well, we can we can. I'm see. happy to include that as a friendly amendment or bifurcate it. My um, uh, council member Vela, how would you? What's your preference? I'm happy to make a motion to give council member Vela uh, if, to if, if another this minute. If this doesn't pass, we'll take another motion. Um, we've had a motion. It's been. Uh, yeah, go ahead. My preference is we don't reject. My preference is, is that we give clear direction for staff to come back with what we want with a plan. I'm with you. Let's vote on um, the council member's motion. Okay, um, we have a motion that's been seconded. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 All, those, all those opposed? No. I'm abstaining. I'm abstaining. Okay, so you don't have a majority. I understand, but I made my point, thank you. Wait. Okay. Hold on. I'll move. Oh. Wait, wait, point of order. So it's two, one, two. Two to one is a, there's three votes. Or do, do we always have to have a minimum of three? Yes. So, so uh, council member, the, the, the charter provides that the council needs three votes okay. to take action in all circumstances, except where you need four. Okay. <laughs> all right. How long have you been? <laughs> Uh, who was saying something? Was that you, Councilmember Jensen? I'll make a motion to approve the lease with Science Club for Building 11. Well, there's a Hail Mary. Um, I, um, would you want to perhaps... Um, so, Knowing so that it's not going to pass, but then we can at least move on. You want to do that? 
Her colleague did have just staff direction she wanted to. Um, so, so I heard our colleague say she didn't want to reject Science Corps. So by making a motion that fails, aren't you doing that very thing? And wouldn't it perhaps be better to do the staff direction, direction to staff? So there's an opportunity that we will be extending this lease with Science Corps? Oh, no, that's great. But okay. that we would be revisiting our um, priority <coughs> to leasing. That's but that's not part of the, anything on the agenda. Point it's of order, you're out of time, The agenda item is a lease with Science Corp. It doesn't have anything, it doesn't say anything about our priorities for the types of economic development or business that we want to have at Alameda Point. And so um, I, I, I suppose, I guess this would be um, an amendment to the agenda or adding to the agenda item or um, if, if the mayor thinks that we should vote on this this so, motion to point give of direction. order, you're out of time, Mayor. I'd like to make a motion to get both the mayor and uh, Councilmember Vela an additional uh, minute. Minutes, good. Okay. Uh, second. Okay. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Okay, that passes. Um, so I think that um, we um, have. We can also, we can always give direction to staff, can we not, City, Ma City Attorney? Uh, yes, Madam Mayor, you can give brief direction to staff without a discussion. Yeah, okay. And so, Councilor Valid, do you want to amplify in your brief discussion? This, yeah. yeah. Can I, so I, I would make an uh, alternative motion, I think, at this point, that we do not take action on this lease tonight, but instead direct staff to come back with a st agendized study session on Alameda Point. On Alameda Point leases, yeah? Yes. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, does that mean then that you would still be that you would be receptive to entertaining the same no. tenant? No. Uh, thank you, I just want clarification on that. So then I will second the motion. Okay, we've had a motion. Um, it's been seconded, so all those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 I'm going to abstain. I just, I, this isn't on the agenda, and I kind of would like, like to, to give some direction to the this organization that's been here for the past four hours. We, we just said that we weren't going to move forward with them. No, we said that we were going to have it brought back. No. There was no. I'm sorry, that was a misunderstanding. That's what the motion was, it to not take action on this item. That was what the motion, do you, I could ask the city clerk to read it back, perhaps I. There was clarity uh, that we were not going to be moving forward with this tenant. Okay. So the motion is to not, to not enter into a lease with Science Corp. Correct. And okay, great. Come, and to come back with a. Well, no, that's, Actually, if that's what the motion is, to clarify with the clerk. Direction. And to come back with a, a study session. So rather than moving forward at this time, come back with a study session. I'm sorry, um, I can't really hear you. Oh, I, um, so, well, it's, you're right. We, we should give clarity to the people here. I, um, we don't need to make it personal. Um, these are respectable um, and respected scientists. Um, reasonable minds can differ, but we don't ever need to insult people. And 
Again, we're not science deniers. So help us out again with that motion, uh, Councilmember Vela, because I'm a little confused. So I'm I'm personally not comfortable with moving forward with this with this with Science Corps for this lease. And just to be yeah, we be clear. And your motion was. And my and my motion is to not move forward with this lease, and to in, to actually come back and have a agendized study session for Alameda Point leases and plans for Alameda Point. And okay. I seconded that. All right. Any any questions or further discussion about that? Okay. So, all those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay. We have four um, ayes and one no. All right. All right. To everyone was here. Um, it, sometimes that's the way things turn out. So um, uh, we. Um, we wish you all the best, and we need to move on because we have a quick 40 minutes to get through a bunch of stuff. So, Madam Clerk, introduce that next item, and, and um, City uh, Manager, if you call up, or is that your item? Is, uh, yeah, uh, I think Annie, you want to? Uh, Ms. Cox, is that you? Come on up. Okay, in go ahead. Introduction from ordinance authorizing the City Manager to execute a lease for building. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Introduction from ordinance authorizing the City Manager to execute a second amendment to the lease with Park Street Wine Cellars for approximately 700 square feet of retail stay in the historic Alameda Theater located at 2315 Central Avenue, Suite 122, to modify lease terms and accelerated rent deferral repayment schedule in accordance with the California Environmental Quality Act. This action is category exempt from further environmental review pursuant to CEQA guidelines 15301 existing facilities. All right, welcome Ms. Cox. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Annie Cox. I'm the Acting Management Analyst with Base Reuse and Economic Development. Tonight I'm here to present a proposed lease amendment with Park Street Wine Cellars. Park Street Wine Cellars is a tenant in a city-owned storefront located on Central Avenue between Oak and Park Street in Alameda's historic theater complex. Their existing lease commenced October 2019 and is set to expire in April of 2025. This spring, due to health issues, the tenant reached out to the city to request an amendment for termination of their lease. They have 20 months remaining on their current lease. Staff is recommending the following proposed lease amendment. Park Street Wine will continue normal operations through the end of the year, clear out inventory in January, with an option to extend the term if needed to sell any remaining inventory, and before lease termination, pay any remaining COVID deferred rent. Additionally, Park Street Wine has agreed to allow the city to immediately begin marketing the space to find a new tenant. This arrangement prevents an empty storefront in our downtown district during the holiday season and allows additional time for a new tenant to emerge. In conclusion, staff recommends that the city council introduce an ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a second amendment to the lease with Park Street Wine Cellars to modify the lease termination date and accelerated repayment of rent deferral. This concludes my presentation and I am happy to answer any clarifying questions. Thank you. And Madam Clerk, do we have public speakers on this one? Oh, I'm sorry. We do not have any in person and we do not have any remote. Okay, so we're going to close public comment on item 7C and we'll just open I'd it like up to, to move, make a motion for to move <coughs> approval of okay, this item. Motion from Councilmember Vela, Councilmember Harris Spencer. 
I'm happy to second that, but I want to speak on the item. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you, Councilmember Bella, for making the motion. Uh, thank you, staff, for working with this tenant. Obviously, they're uh, stepping up in good faith. I'm saddened that they're having these uh, health issues, but I am appreciative of staff's efforts and council's efforts to work with the tenant, and I would actually encourage Alamedans to swing by and support this tenant through this uh, last chapter with us, um, and I wanna you know, thank them for being with us as long as they did, but, but I do think it's important to um, recognize them for working with us through this and uh, us working with them. Thank you. Thank you. We've had a motion, we've had a second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? That motion carries unanimously. All right, and are you up for um, item 72? Okay, Madam Clerk, if you would introduce item 7D for us, please. Introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a first amendment to the lease with Playhouse LLC doing business as director's cut project burger for approximately 18, 150 square feet of retail space in the historic Alameda Theater Complex located at 2319 Central Avenue to modify monthly rent and lease term, establish operating provisions, and relieve outstanding rent in accordance with the California Environmental Quality Act. This action is categorically exempt from further environmental review pursuant to CEQA guidelines section 15301 existing facilities. All right, welcome back. <laughs> Good evening again, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. Again, my name is Annie Cox and I am the Acting Management Analyst for the Base Reuse and Economic Development Department. Tonight, I am here to present a proposed leased amendment with Project Burger. Project Burger is a tenant in a city-owned storefront on Central Avenue between Oak and Park Street and Alameda's Historic Theater Complex. The existing lease commenced in May of 2018 and is set to expire in October of 2028. Between 2019 and 2020, and in actually through 2023, the business experienced financial difficulty due to the owner's business partner leaving the business and the COVID-19 pandemic. Which brings us to the current situation today. This business is in distress. Mr. Haddad is a one-person operation with no staff, limited hours of operation, and is having difficulty making rent payments. The existing lease is well above current market rate and the existing market demand for restaurant spaces is very limited. The tenant is $238,000 in arrears. Earlier this year, Project Burger approached the city to discuss monthly rent terms and prior outstanding rent. Based on tenant's current financial and operational situation, and given the current market for restaurant spaces, staff and tenant have negotiated the proposed, a proposed lease amendment that shortens the lease term to two years, brings the lease to a current market rate, relieves outstanding rent, and includes a six-month and 12-month milestone provision. The provisions require the tenant to increase staffing and hours of operation. The benefits are twofold. First, they enable the tenant to build capacity and restructure towards a more sustainable business model. And second, they better support the vitality of the surrounding commercial area. In conclusion, staff is recommending that City Council introduce an ordinance authorizing the city manager 
to approve the terms of a first amendment to the lease with Project Burger, to modify monthly rent and lease term, establish operating provisions, and relieve prior outstanding rent. Thank you for your time and consideration. I am happy to answer any clarifying questions. Thank you, Ms. Coxman. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comment on this item? We do not. Okay, we'll close public comment on 7D and we'll go right to council comments. Council Member Herrera-Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mary. So my clarifying question goes to this $238,000. Uh, why is the city forgiving that? I'd like to invite Andrew Thomas up to answer that. Well, in part because we've overcharged this tenant for well, a while, but that's part of it. He's been. Yeah. I mean, it's based on the current rent in the uh, lease that he um, is above market rate. Um, I mean, I think it really comes down to a simple decision. He doesn't have the money to pay us back. The option would be to just terminate the lease right now um, and and tell and and try to go after him for the two hundred thirty-eight thousand um, dollars. I don't think it'd be worth your time and effort or money to try to do that because I don't think he has it. So, so this is really just a strategy to see if we can help him build his business back into a sustainable business. It's a short term for two years. And with the six and the 12 month check-ins so that if it's not working within six months, you have the ability to say, you know what, it's not working. We need to go our separate ways. Mayor, can may I just add that yeah. there was um, COVID relief that was provided to some of the surrounding tenants and then he did not receive that. So I think staff also, thinks this makes sense given that he wasn't provided. There were conversations that were ongoing but never occurred, so this is also. It was never brought to yeah. the city council, his request for COVID relief, even though his two neighbors just on the same block received it. And on top of that, he was, for whatever reason, being charged 25% more than the market rate. Okay, Councilmember Harris Spencer, then Councilmember Vella. So my understanding in regards to the COVID relief was that it was for employees and that he doesn't have any employees. Uh, not at this time, he doesn't, no. But th that's my understanding why he wasn't eligible. Yeah, I wasn't here, I don't know. It's just something that we factored in and thinking it, about forgiving that rent. So my understanding, so that's my understanding in regards to COVID relief that was offered to companies was it was based on employees. Does any staff that is not aware of that? Wasn't, I wasn't over All right. here working on it at the time. I, I, mean, I we kind of just really focused on what, where, what the situation is right now. It's pretty clear he has really no assets at this point that we could. So how is staff going to be checking in to ensure that we actually should not just let the property go to someone else who would then have a viable business well, possibly? You, I think we could, we considered that. I mean, here's the option would be to, to direct us to terminate the lease immediately, um, you know, through the procedures in the lease for non-payment. Um, you're probably looking at two years of vacant storefront if we do that, um, a year to market Hopefully we find somebody in a year who will come in at, at, the, at the market rate that he's willing to pay today. And then there's probably six to nine months where the new tenant is just building out the business, you know, redesigning it, putting in there, getting the space together. So we are leasing agents and, and we think you, it, if you wanna go that path, we can do that. That would be an option, terminate the lease proceed, go out RFP for a new space, you're probably looking at two years of vacant space until that new tenant steps in. And when the new tenant steps in, they're probably gonna be paying about 238, which is, so we thought, why not try to give this, this, uh, this, this business an opportunity to see if we lower the rent to market rate, 
because right now he's burdened for something that's way above market rate. If we lower it to market rate, let's see if he can actually build that business. I mean, the fact that the Yelp reviews are saying the guy does a great burger, <laughs> it would be great, best burger in Alameda. It would be great if he could have some staff to, you know, and then, and without the staff, he can't do more hours. So he's is he being, sorry, I appreciate that. Is he being required to hire more staff then? Yes, that's exactly okay, what and, those and provisions what, are about. And what are the extended hours going to be now? There, it's all uh, spelled out in the lease amendment. It's spelled out in the lease. Yeah. It's essentially within six months, he has to have the new staff up, um, identify the new staff, and then by, by the, by the year by the month 12 so the second year of this two year if i remember correctly he has to expand his hours from currently he's at 36 hours of service i think it's up to 40 now like or he has to add two more dinners i think was the way we structured it dinner so hours 42 hour operating hours a week he'll yeah. be required to maintain uh, regular lunch service at least 5 days per week and dinner service at least 4 days per week and that's on page 3 of the staff report um, so that was that. That's the recommended amendment. Yeah. Give this business a chance to rebuild itself over two years. If they don't, if they fail at six months or fail at twelve months, then we just you terminate. Um, it, the other option would be to terminate right now. I don't. I mean, I don't know, but I don't believe that if even if you terminate and go to try to go find another restaurant operator, you're probably looking at two years of vacancy, and you're probably never going to see the two thirty-eight if you try to get it out of this this operator, because I don't believe he has it. So how will staff be monitoring to ensure that he hires the employees, that he is open those hours? The, through the, in those operating provisions, he has to submit his monthly reports to us that he has been open the hours he's already promising, 36, and then through those monthly reports, he needs to show us in the, in the second year that he's actually open not 36 but the 42 hours and if, if when he pays his rent if he doesn't have those reports showing that he's been so there's not going to be any staff checking well we, oh, we would do spot checks we yeah, can't we stand can. there and check every day but we will confirm we can stop by we have property managers and we can do that this we've done we did this before in another space at Alameda theater and and we would have to have a staff person <clears throat> walk by um, and confirm, um, and then we would try to do these, you know, kind of inspections, essentially, and monitoring. It's one of those spaces that's pretty easy to monitor. When I worked here in City Hall, I walked past to Pete's <laughs> twice a day, every day. Right, but I'm not sure if you're walking by 8 p.m. or 10 p.m., right? No, so that's no, why. No. So to me, having staff confirm the spot checking, not just the tenant self-reporting, obviously this is, again, uh, public property and we're we need to be a responsible you know landowner and whatnot but i, I would appreciate if staff would do the some some spot staff checking we'll at different times checking. to we ensure have... right to double check that happens thanks so much yeah. I, I just one question which is I, I understand that you're saying that we could have up to two years of vacant storefront there is there a reason we're not saying it ends at 12 months and then there's an option for a second year? I mean, we're essentially doing that because if he doesn't hire and isn't working at those hours after 12 months, and if he can't demonstrate that he essentially has hired staff and, and extended his hours by the end of 12 months, then you essentially wouldn't extend or give him that other year because he wouldn't, he'd be in default to the lease. 
you want to structure it as a 12-month lease with an extension for another 12 months, assuming he's meeting that criteria, I guess we could switch it and, and do that. I'm just curious why we would word it one way versus the other way, because it seems like what we're giving him is essentially the option on 12 months, so that's why I'm just curious why we wouldn't just say it's an option on 12 months, which seems to make that, I mean, I'm just hearing my my colleague up here mm -hmm. saying what are what are the triggers for this for the city to step in I have no I want to make it very clear I have I understand why we're restructuring it I think this is the right thing to do I'm fine with forgiving the the rent out I, I agreed that we it's not worth going after I just think that it's better to word it as we're giving you a 12-month lease with the option when these conditions are met as opposed to kind of saying if you if you don't do these things, then you're defaulting, and then we're going through. Because I, I, I also feel like it's better for him to say we're just not going to renew the option rather than to go through a default process, which just seems. And we can do it that way. I think there was some direction. I think about trying to give him the two years is what I remember. But okay, but yeah. it's up to the council. Well, I think we'd probably have to amend the lease and come back, though. And yeah, well, I would just, just if I if I could suggest that we do. I, hello, hello. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My turn. Um, I would <laughs> like to suggest that we do um, do the the two year term. I think it takes a little time to get back up to speed, and this is somebody who has been doing remarkably well despite the city. We have not been a good landlord. And the COVID funds, I, I don't never heard that. It just simply never came to us. He requested it. There's no record of a denial. And I believe that the COVID funds were to help businesses stay in business. There were provisions for when they had to replace them. But it, that, that wasn't, it was, I think it was some sort of an oversight on top of not getting the COVID funds that we gave his two neighbors. Then we were overcharging him for the rent. So I think, He's, and I think he deserves an opportunity to ramp up and, you know, give him the chance for the, uh, the time that's in here. So I don't know that we need to, I just, you know, would like him to be in a little more of a level playing field with um, some of our other tenants. So, um, any others, thoughts? No, okay, a motion? I'd like, okay, Councilmember Jensen moves approval. Do I have a second? I'll second. Um, all the I'd like to make a friendly amendment that we do a, the one year with the extension versus the two. I'm making the motion to approve it as staff has provided. If it doesn't pass, then we can do another motion. Okay. And just to clarify, we need four votes. Four votes. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. All right, so we have a motion um, to approve staff recommendation. Do we have a second? Um, just a quick comment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my decision is based upon the um, analysis and recommendations of staff. Um, I, th I do think $230,000 is kind of high <laughs> to forego, but I will take it that, that we missed out on the um, COVID. Oh, and even if, e and, and even if, the COVID um, payments might have been for those businesses with employees. Um, I have no qualms with, in this case, um, helping out a self-employed business um, who happens to be on, on, on city property. Um, so I, I take it 
that that you know that that he missed out on the COVID that others were able to get, and I also take it um, as um, as fact that um, his rent was un unusually higher than it really should have been. So for that reason, um, I will be supportive of this uh, motion. Wait a second. Oh yeah, that's, sure. That's, that's very supportive. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have a motion. It's been know, so. seconded. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Um, okay. Well, we have three, but we don't have four. What is it you're still looking for, Councilman Rivella? I w so I would prefer the option, and here's why. I the the COVID dollars that we had did we did require as a city that there be employees in order for it to be subject to the approval that was that was part of i'm not sure at one time he didn't have employees i i also am i'm hearing that we were negligent landlords i'm wondering when the request came in to have the the funds reduced and who the staff was that was in charge of this lease yeah. So there's not good documentation, but we definitely overcharged them. I'm fact taking all those I, things into consideration. I don't, so I don't have a problem with, with any of that, as I said before. Mm -hmm. What I do have a problem with is with us trying to then say, we're gonna give you a two-year lease and then have to go down a default, which basically means that at some point, if we get a new tenant, there will be an empty storefront for a few months to get it up. I would rather just do the one year with the option to renew rather than putting off the inevitable and i, I just think it it's stronger for us if it's an option versus we're going to have to go through a default process just to clarify it it would not be a, it would be an option that would be up to the discretion of the city because if he hasn't met the same very Correct. same provisions Correct then it would be basically, it would be us Correct. saying, we are not giving you the second year because you haven't met our criteria. Correct. Can we it, determine that, that it would be doing? an automatic extension? Do you want it to be an automatic extension based That's on confirmation by staff of the monthly reports confirming I, his I, compliance no, with the lease? I, I would, no, I would want the, I want it, would want it to be an option. I just, for me, what we do, we, we I want us to be as standardized as possible in terms of how we do options. And it just, we, we we have a lot of critiques about what we're doing with city property and city funds. We have a lot of restaurants that have had to shutter that are paying above, you know, that are that are getting price gouged and other things. I just, it, it's one of these things where, and I get that we're 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 working with them because the lease would have been through 2028. There there is a give and take. I just want it to be a true option. I think it gives us leverage. I, I'm fine with. I'm fine with that. I think that there's enough documentation here that staff would just come back and be like, hey, he met all these criteria. We are recommending that you, you move forward with it at this. I, I, you're going to have the same counsel because it's going to come back to us. You know, I, I feel like at that time, if, if all of the conditions are met, but if it's like, hey, he really tried, but none of these conditions were met, I, I, would, I would rather be in a place to say, then we're not going to move forward with the option. So it would be an option, because we have options at Alameda Point that don't come back to council twos, but you, it would be an option that would come back to council after to confirm, to extend the additional year. So it's essentially an option at our discretion based on meeting those criteria or just at our sole discretion? I, I, I think it's at our sole discretion, but I would I'd ask. The city's sole discretion. Yeah. Right? But you would, you would allow staff to make that determination? I'd, I'd like to hear from our city attorney. Sure. Uh, City Attorney Chen? 
Sure, sure council member, I, hearing what you've said, and I, I'm assuming the council wants to make this modification today on the dais, if it's possible, and to the extent it's possible, I, I think what I, and we want to be, we want to try to be precise since we're making the modification on the dais tonight. I, I think what you're saying is that subsection two in the terms provision, it would change to the term of the lease is ex, uh, amended to terminate on October 31st, 2024. The city shall have uh, uh, an option in its sole and complete discretion to extend this lease uh, by uh, an additional year upon the affirmative vote of four council members. Um, and the subsection D will be deleted because subsection D deals with the essentially the termination at 12 months. Um, and I think section three remains because if the council exercises the option, I think the rent is what the rent is provided. Um, I hope my colleagues can stop me. I'm seeing nods, so look I mean, look at looking like. I don't want to complicate it, but another option just make a term of one year and come back and amend, you know, ask your to just amend it because I mean, then you're literally just, I mean, we're deleting some of those same sections. Either way, we have to get four votes and we either go for the renewal or for an amendment to extend. So, Councilor Ravella and Steph, this is my concern. So say that this tenant meets all the criteria at the end of year one, he still has to come back for an affirmative vote of four council members. What if somebody just decides they don't like him, even though he's made all the, the he's made all the, met all the criteria, why would we not just let staff make that determination? Because staff didn't come to us when it was over market and there was, a, I think, well, lack we, of documentation and lack of oversight and that and that is a concern that I have because we're, we're arguing on the one hand that staff didn't do anything and so well in all fairness it is not the staff that is sitting here today at the city manager's chair or the head of um, base reuse and economic development um, but you know I'm I'm about <coughs> I would like to be as fair as possible to tenants especially where I feel like we've kind of um, hobbled them, but if, uh, you know, if that's what it takes to get to four votes, I'll, I'll be a good team player. So you still, you still, even though they met every criteria that we set out for them, they still need to come back and it wouldn't be enough for the staff to, because it just wouldn't be enough for the staff to I, I would like to us. Yes, I would like us to be cleaner in terms of the lease terms and the terms that we're putting forward, and I think this is one of those places that we can do that. And it's nothing about the tenant. I think this is really just more things that we have to do on our end to make sure that the language is clean and that there is oversight so that we don't have these sort of situations happening where somebody's languishing with high rent when we we should have cut it down. Or if there's a, and I also think it will motivate this person to to meet the terms of the lease that we're setting forward. I don't want to be in a situation where two years have passed and we haven't seen the progress that we want to see and then the inevitable comes where we're again faced with well i get that but it's so it's you want the language to be as clear as possible i thought that that's what the city attorney was doing for us um and so if it is as clear as possible and the tenant meets that clear those clear criteria or doesn't the staff can report back one way or the other but you you want to you want to be able to question staff, I guess, when they report back. Is that it? I want us to have a public vote on the public property. 
Uh, it's not to question staff. I think if those terms are met, I, it's going to be sufficient for four of us. And it shouldn't be a problem. Right. Um, I kind of feel like we're holding some tenants to a higher standard than others, but um, I understand four <laughs> votes too. Um, Councilmember Reyes-Sanchez, did you have something else to say? Well, I'm happy to second the motion, but I do have something to say because $280,000 is a lot of money. So I'm really not, the comments of, you know, this is a businessman. We need tenants that are business people. Um, I actually think the COVID money was you had to have an employee. Um, but regardless, uh, he entered into the lease. He didn't have to enter into the lease. It's an arm's length lease. So I don't want to have any suggestion that somehow, you know, the city made him enter into a lease. Uh, if he didn't want to enter to enter enter into the lease he didn't have to right we have business people that reject and negotiate more all the time uh, so i it was an arms well let me ask our city attorney city attorney it's an arm's length uh, agreement isn't it i i would presume so yes <laughs> thank you um so can't, uh, so, Mayor Dayside. No, so I just there? like to continue because oh, so, you know, when the city, just like all of you, when you enter into a deal in real life, you are being asked to perform. We all know that, right? That's what happens. And so I do, uh, um, you know, I personally think the city is being very generous to waive $280,000. We do not do that for every tenant. We may have done it for some, but rest assured, we have tenants that actually end up leaving because they think the rent is too high. Uh, in fact, let me ask our city attorney, um, do you know of any incidents where we've had tenants actually leave because the rent is too high? I'm not aware, but my colleagues might. All right, well, I'm aware of it. Uh, we do have tenants leave uh, that do not continue being a tenant of the city's property because, yes, they think the rent is too high. So the fact that you know we are waiving the 280000 for this tenant I do think is generous. I think, honestly, if I were that tenant, I would be very appreciative. And I think that the asks from the city are actually very generous. The 8 p.m. close, uh, I go out to dinner. I go out often after 8 p.m. on a weeknight. I think that that honestly is too early if you're looking at uh, what, what businesses do. They are often open at least until, I would say, 9 o'clock in Alameda, uh, Monday through Friday. No, not just Monday, not Monday through Thursday, yeah. not Friday. Friday, they could be at least until 10, at least the kitchen would be open until 10. But to have a kitchen close at 8 p.m., I'm not sure how often that happens in Alameda at a restaurant. So I personally think the hours are generous as a tenant of the cities. I personally would prefer longer hours. I like our businesses to be open. Um, so you know, so you can go to Oli's right down the street. They're going to have longer hours, right? They are. Uh, you can go to West. Well, West Cafe closes early because they open early. But, but I I do think it's nice to have longer hours. So I think the city is being generous. Uh, I do. I have the concern that if you have a business person that hasn't hired another employee all this time, and if you look at the Yelp reviews, there are comments about that too. Uh, the wait. So it's not all just, you know, the burgers are great. It's, uh, hmm, what's going on here? How long do I have to wait for a burger? 
so there, there have been, to me, those are actually like significant business issues, but I don't like to tell businesses how to run their business. I actually prefer we enter into an arm's length deal they perform. If they don't perform, you know, then we they move along and we get a tenant that does what they were what they entered into. But so I think we're being very generous, and I think that the, I agree with the one year and then the circle back, um, because I do want him to perform, and I don't want the city to without public. This is public property. I agree with that comment also, but I also want to make sure that we are. That's why I want the spot check. I actually don't want him to just fill out a form. I went to work at 12 and I left at 8 with no verification from the city. I think the spot checks do matter because I want to make sure he's staying open and he's actually like open for business because we need, uh, you know, the other businesses, they actually need businesses that are thriving. We don't need a languishing business that actually doesn't attract business. Uh, so I appreciate doing the one year and then the extension with staff uh, encouraging him to, to you know, of what, your, what your all suggestions are, right? So thank you. So I yeah. do second the motion. Yeah, and I'm not sure I'd call it generous to have overcharged him 25% um, on his, um, lease payments, but I think, you know, maybe he should have had counsel or something representing him. I like to think that people doing business with the city could reasonably expect to be treated fairly. And I think this was just an oversight on our part. I think we are admirably uh, correcting that. So, um, uh, Vice Mayor, I think I saw your hand. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say what I recall in our conversations was that he had a business partner. So someone had to have been an originally. employee. Yeah. And then they left, and then that made it very difficult for yeah. him to. Yeah. Op yeah. He wasn't the business. He, exactly. Kind of, he was dealing. He, he was, was more the back the chef, end, and, and, and then right. there was a front end partner, and then so and then I COVID think there might have been an employee then, at some time. So and then, FYI. and then COVID hit, and it made it worse. But anyways, motion second. I think I heard. Okay. Any further discussion, Councilmember Jensen? Did you want to weigh in on anything? Okay. Uh, I, I want to uh, comment in regards to, I do not think that it's a 25% uh, too high. I think it was a fair rate that was bargained. Thank you. It wasn't. Um, but anyway, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Okay, that was at five eyes. Okay, that was unanimous. That passes. Um, okay, so Madam Clerk, help me with some Basically housekeeping. We are definitely not going to get to two different um, council um, consent calendar items. So we'll take the first one, the Port Chicago um, proclamation. But um, help me um, with how we get the other two up to um, item six on the next calendar. So it just takes a vote of three council members to okay. move it to that section six. Okay. And I, 5E I, is actually the FOS is up first. Okay. Oh, the FOS is up first. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, count, uh, go ahead. Um, oh, you want to do the oh, FOS item? Or you uh, want to take well, the no, vote first? The first? No, in, in order. In, FOS uh, is first. FOS is first. Okay. Um, the, um, yes, the, um, yes, FOS is first. You want to take the vote to hear 5 F under six first before hearing this. Uh, yeah, I think we probably should. I'll move uh, to hear item five F under item six, continued agenda items at the next meeting. And also, what about our council referral? We can leave it where it is. Leave it where it is. Okay. Okay. So um, your motion is to um, uh, move item, which item is five it? F. 
support Fred Chicago. Is in, uh, in, and uh, I, I would also make the motion to have, uh, if we aren't able to vote on 5E tonight, to also move that right. uh, under item six. Yeah, because we've got four minutes. I don't think we it's to gonna work. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so um, Council Member Villa has made the motion to move 5F up to- 5E and 5F. Up to, um, uh, you know, I have a suggestion. With four minutes to go, shall we move them just both up to position E, because then we're not starting and starting again? But if they get pulled, then they would get moved to the back of the meeting, which is why. Well, I no, we can vote. We can vote on what we want. Saying move both and not move. even start this one. Yeah, and let it just be all be heard at the same time. Because we're not going to get it to a vote on this. I understand, but if they get pulled out of the consent, then they get moved to the end of the meeting at the next meeting, because that's our rule. So that's why I'm making the motion to have them at um, under item six. Yeah, okay, we're saying the same thing, yeah. both of them, right? Correct, five E and five F. Okay, sorry. Okay, so we have a motion to move both E, five E and five F to item six on the November seventh um, agenda item. That's been moved by Councilmember Fella, second by Councilmember Jensen. Any discussion, Councilmember Harris Spencer? My preference is to have five E heard tonight. She's been waiting all night. I know. We have three minutes. It's just not It's not fair to get it started. We're going to need to have discussion. We've been having discussion. We might even have public comment. Um, so, yeah, that's the other thing. So, um, I'd also move many, to continue the meeting. If I'm not going for that. Um, <coughs> how um, how many votes do we need? Just There's three. three. Okay. So, did anyone second? Um, yes, Tracy. Tra that's right, Councilman Jensen. Okay, um, all those in favor of moving 5E and 5F to the, um, item six at the November 7 meeting signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Opposed. Okay, that motion um, passes um, uh, by four to one. And so in the two minutes that we have, I'm going to adjourn the meeting on a serious topic. Um, this has been a very difficult time. Um, and I am actually borrowing from a friend of mine. She's a council member in um, Berkeley named Sophie Hahn. And she, I get her newsletter, and she wrote one today that just touched me um, deeply. And I actually shared it with a number of friends, and I'm going to share some of it with us tonight. So um, Councilmember Hahn wrote, Dear neighbors and friends, today I write to you with a, a very heavy heart. The massacre and hostage taking by Hamas has shaken all of us and have filled me with profound sadness. I also see the pain and suffering of Palestinian civilians who have lost loved ones and have no assurance of safety, shelter, or sustenance. Hamas's choice of extreme violence exacts a terrible price from the people of Israel and the people of Gaza as well. And I can substitute Alameda here. Um, Councilmember Hahn said, I know many here in Berkeley, but also in Alameda in particular, our Israeli, Jewish, Palestinian, and Muslim communities are also filled with grief and dread for loved ones lost, kidnapped, or facing danger in a war that has already claimed far too many lives. Please know that my deep sadness and compassion extends to all of you, and please remember to reach out to neighbors and friends who may need extra support at this time, let's model the kindness and compassion we seek for our world and hold each other close. And with that, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone, for your time and all your hard work, staff and council. Good night.